We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Money, baby. Welcome in and a happy Saturday morning, everybody. Rob Ellis in for Glenn Mack now along with my man, Mike Sealski. Mike, good to see you as always. My friend, Nick Earnshaw, producer of the program. What's up, Mike? How are you, Rob? I'm I'm doing about as good as the crowd was last night after Joel Embiid hit that shot. That was uh, that was rather remarkable. Money, man. 1.1 seconds left. Sixers come away with a 120-119 win. Here's where, Mike, the other thing, I, I, I have ripped him enough that I'll give him props. Doc saw that that play was going nowhere before he called the timeout. Yep. He got a timeout, and Joel Embiid uh, did what he's been doing all season. He, I, to me, he's the MVP. He, he's not going to win it, but to me, he's the MVP, another great performance. But, yeah, man. you know, he is. he has really elevated his game over the last two months uh, after the slow start that this team got off to uh, after some of the sloppiness he was playing with early in the season, he has been something to, to behold mm-hmm. over the last few weeks. No question. And that's just another log in the fire of what was uh, an inferno of a Philadelphia sports day <laughs> yesterday. I mean, the hits kept coming. You you and I were, were talking like early in the morning and texting with one another like, yeah, we're going to do this tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, uh, we're going to add that. This happened. This happened. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was a... Uh, the sports gods dropped the content bomb on us, and we're we're happy. Yeah, we got a week's worth of content in about four and a half hours yesterday, and uh, hopefully we're going to be able to touch on all of it today. We can we can hop around a bit, which is always fun. Yeah, we're actually going to hit the five for five. We're we're going to we're going to extend the four for four into the five for five because we're going to talk a little bit about the big five as well. But big show. We got Todd Zalecki at eleven o'clock from Clearwater. We have Zach Berman at twelve o'clock uh, from the Athletic to join us and let's let's start yesterday and you know you're thinking all right let's see a gm got fired um the pitching phenom gets shut down finally after about nine days we found out what it was going on um the sixers hit a hit a essentially what was a buzzer beater a game winner but then there's a couple of Eagles nuggets that were Mm -hmm. just dropped in there uh one let's go real positive here Brandon Graham comes back on a one-year Essentially, six million dollar deal, Mike. To me, this is the ultimate win here. You get him back at a reasonable rate. He's still very productive, and for Brandon, he gets to stay in his comfort zone and continue his career where he could become the all-time Eagle leader in games played. Incredible for a defensive lineman. Yeah, I think um, Brandon is one of those athletes who the public perception of him is so positive in the market and has been for such a long time because of. The, the view that people get of him after games in particular, right? He was, for years and years after games on NBC Sports Philadelphia or Comcast Sportsnet, he was kidding with Derek Gunn. You're wrong, D-Gunn! <laughs> in those post-game interviews. And yeah. every time you see him on camera, uh, he is, uh, you know, 
happy and and has a good attitude and all mm-hmm. these sorts of things. And of course, he sacked Tom Brady and <laughs> won the Super Bowl. That little thing. Um, but the the key to this, to me, is what Brandon gives that team in the locker room from a leadership standpoint on a day to day basis. He is part of that core of Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox that has been here for so long and that kind of allows the Eagles, even in, and they've had some down years, Mm -hmm. but even in those years where, all right, they're not, they're clearly not a contender this year, it gives you reason to think, okay, everything will be all right if they get some more talent in here because this core of guys will hold it together. And from that standpoint, I think bringing Brandon, Brandon Graham back is obviously a huge win for the And he can still play. Yeah. And on top of it, because you have so many questions about the guys behind him, you now still have three guys who get double-digit sacks mm-hmm. from last year. Sweat comes back, you know, Brandon comes back now, and Hassan Reddick. So while there's a lot of uncertainty on the back end, which we'll get to in a second, mm-hmm. at least you know with your front, it, from the edge standpoint, you're feeling pretty good about what you have. Yeah, and I still don't think that this uh, precludes the Eagles from drafting a pass rusher mm-hmm. in the draft. I mean, we don't know yet, obviously, what Howie Roseman's going to do having the 10th pick and the 30th pick. You presume he's going to trade back. They 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 always want to grab assets, um, but you're going to need pass rushers. Brandon's not going to play forever. Uh, you're going to need more depth there. You have it now, but you're not going to have it long term necessarily unless you bolster that position. Yeah, so that that's the good news, and that kind of worked out. And, and I think it's that's one a lot of us kind of saw coming. It, yep. it, seeing him in a Detroit uniform or a Brown uniform no. just didn't didn't work. No, didn't I don't work. want it. it's Joe Namath in the Rams jersey. <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah. So Brandon Graham's back. That much we know. Now, Darius Slay might be a whole other story. Um, I, I, I was, I'm hesitant to use the word granite permission <laughs> because it wasn't like he was seeking it. It was basically, yeah, you know what? Um, we'd either like you to uh, restructure or take a pay cut. And if not, why don't you see what you get on the open market? So it was, it was basically a, a mandate uh, to go seek a trade. Yeah, that, the way this played out, yesterday was interesting as you said Rob there's uh it's kind of a media lesson in who breaks what and how they frame it uh you know did he request a trade did the Eagles request that he request (laughs) a trade it was all very interesting and kind of meta in some ways but yeah look this is a tricky spot that the Eagles are in here with Slay because you know if he stays He's going to make $17 million next year, but his salary cap hit would be $26 million Oof. plus. Now, the problem with moving on from him is that you're going to take a dead cap hit one way or another, yeah. and it's going to be pretty substantial. So how he's going to have to be at his best here to try to address this in a way that allows the Eagles some flexibility. I mean, this is what Howie does. He kicks the can down the road. And then he's kind of reaches a moment of truth where he's really got to get creative. And I think that's what's going to happen here with Slay. Yeah, and he's accustomed to, I think for the most part, and we don't know everything that goes on behind the scenes, obviously, but usually players are willing to acquiesce to the restructure. Like Mm -hmm. Lane Johnson's like, all right, you want to pay me up front? Okay, my base is nothing? Fine, I don't care. I'm still getting the money one way or the other. Slay's basically like, nope, I want to get paid. And and he has every right to do that, by Mm -hmm. the way. Sure. And he's not playing ball, if you will, with them. The challenge is going to be you're moving a guy in the last year of his deal at his age at that position, you know, and and if you really paid close attention to this team, he was okay yes. in the second half of the year. He wasn't Pro Bowl guy like everybody I think around the league might think. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And and 
you know, we mentioned just a minute ago about the need for some more depth among along the defensive line. Well, they need depth at cornerback. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the position right now that is really in flux, not just cornerback, but that entire defensive secondary. Because as of right now, we don't know what's happening with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Everybody presumed James Bradbury was moving on for greener pastures. Now if Slay is off the books, does that allow them to keep Bradbury? Are they going to draft a cornerback, which they haven't done since they Lito. took Lito Shepard in 2002? Uh, so it's th- there's a lot in flux with man. this team right now, and we haven't even touched on the fact that you know they got to sign the quarterback too. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You could have a completely different starting secondary. Epps could walk. Mm-hmm. CJ GJ could walk, Bradbury could walk, and you could trade Slay. Do you have any defensive back experience in your background, Rob? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, they better score a lot of points if, <laughs> if you're putting me back there, Mike. And not not to mention linebacker is in flux as well. Yeah, so that's true. We'll we'll dip our foot heavily into the uh into the Eagles. Well, later, Mike, we'll talk about that Bears and, and Panthers trade. Whoa. Wow. Oh man. Yeah, a lot given up there in that one, that's for sure. All right, let, let's go to the Sixers. And we just played Kate Scott with a call last night on NBC Sports Philadelphia and Joel Embiid. Mike, this is night in and night out. I, I mean, where he is just carrying this team, just dominant. 39 last night, seven rebounds, four assists, three blocks, three two steals. And one of the things that this team lacked, I think, previous seasons was a clutch gene. Joel Embiid's hit a bunch of these now. It's no surprise. And what he's been able to do here and this run that he's been on, this team was down 21 in this game. And Look, I have some major defensive concerns oh, yeah. with them in general, um, and it, it's tough to outshoot a team every single night. But And I said this to my son last night, who's a diehard Sixers fan, but th- this is the kind of game they lose in years past, I feel like. And even though it was home and they should have won, and they were eight-and-a-half-point favorites going into the game. Yeah. But they came back and won the game. That's the bottom line. And Embiid, to me, is the MVP. He's not going to win it, but he is the MVP. It, but the question is the, the age-old question. Are they going to be better than they were last year, the year before, the year before? Yeah. Come playoff time. Look, as great as Embiid is, uh, the challenge that they're going to face from an offensive standpoint, and you're 100% right about the defensive issues, the challenge they're going to face from an offensive standpoint is what you saw at the end of that game last night, which is they have to run a play to get the ball to Embiid in a spot where he can score in a tie game like that. We saw it, for instance, last year. Uh, in that Game 3 of the Raptors series, mm-hmm. where he was able to free himself for that, you know, kind of fadeaway three-pointer yeah. at the buzzer that he ended up making. But he, just because of who he is, being seven foot two and 280 pounds, he cannot create his own shot mm-hmm. in the way that another wing player or more skilled big man a la Luka Doncic can, can do. So where do you get that? Because in the playoffs... That's so much of what these games come down yeah. to is, is Tyrese Maxey the only guy who you have with that kind of ability? Is James Harden going to be able to do that, you know, team down one, 10 seconds to go? Do you clear for Harden? Because as great as Embiid is, he's still going to need help just to get the ball in a spot yeah. where he can do what he did last and, night. And this just then, if you're any other team, get him away from the foul line. Yeah. He loves the nail. He loves the foul line. That is his shot, man. And look, that was not an easy shot. No, nope. that, that was a very difficult shot that he hit last night. Yeah, but yeah, you, and you to, can't let him get near that area. No, and to your point about the course of a game, too, what you can't do is foul him. He's yeah. shooting 85% from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. He shoots their technicals. It, a seven foot two guy. That's incredible. And he I was mean, off last night for the free throw line, by the way. He might be the best foul shooting big man 
in NBA history. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but it's certainly worth talking about. And mm-hmm. um, look, we've all been here with the Sixers over the last six years where they look great in the regular season. And we ask ourselves what's going to happen come playoff time. And it even gets to the point where in that first round, you know, you remember the, the when they got back to the playoffs and they kind of blew through the Miami yeah. Heat and you thought, okay, well, the Celtics, they'll, they'll handle the Celtics. And no, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've gotten through the first round easily each of these years, generally speaking, um, with the one exception being the bubble. And then that second round comes around mm-hmm. and you never know. Have you seen enough from this team to believe they could potentially be able to escape the second round? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. No. Yeah. Um I want to that doesn't mean they're not that, that doesn't mean they're going to fold again, but I reserve the right to be skeptical and cynical about this team until I, they actually do it. Mike, I would say the lo, not not I would say the majority, not the large majority, but the majority of Sixers fans fall where you're at. They basically are in the, hey, look, this is great. This is all window dressing. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love the icing on the cake, but you need to show me because uh, I'm not buying it. I'm not getting my heart broken again. Right. And I get it. You know, I understand it. The only thing I would say to that, my only response when, when people, and not you specifically, but you're missing a lot of fun along the way if you're oh, a yeah. basketball fan because yes. this guy is a is a treat to watch. Well, the, the, the analogy I would draw, Rob, is – the 80, and this is going back a ways, obviously, but you have to if you're going to talk about Sixers championship runs, is 82-83, obviously, when they won the championship going away. Mm-hmm. The difference with that scenario was, as much as they had been knocking on the door in 77 and 80 and 82 with Doc and that team, Moses Malone was the MVP yeah. of the league. And you throw him into this mix, and he fits so seamlessly that there was every reason following that team to think, oh, this is different mm-hmm. because they have the be- the guy who is the best player in the NBA right now, and you just added him. They already have had Joel Embiid for a while, and as great as Embiid is and has been, you're not throwing in a insert name of yeah. superstar. With all due respect to Harden, it's not the impact exactly. that Moses Malone had in 82 Exactly, and yeah. so... And we saw what happened last year against the Heat in that second round. Is yep. It was not the same James Harden that the Sixers thought they were getting. Now, maybe it'll be different this time around. Yeah. Harden has been terrific offensively this whole season. Again, I reserve the right to be skeptical. I hear you. I hear you. And, and look, I'm curious where people are with that. 215-592-9494 is how you can hop on. All right, so the third prong of this thing is the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been really weird, Mike. Um, you know, we know that Painter pitches last Wednesday – Comes back Thursday and says, hey, I'm feeling a little tender in the elbow. Okay. We, we, let's run our tests. We, a, a week plus later, we finally get word on on what's going on. Now, he shut down for four weeks. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, they were waiting for that, uh, Neil, I always butcher the name, attache, whatever, you know, the guy yeah. who did Harper surgery. Yes. The guy out in L.A. Anyway, so they're saying that, hey, we feel like it's not a bigger issue. Uh, we're going to shut the kid down. But in the midst of that, you had Scott Boris doing a Boris power play, mm. flexing a little bit, essentially saying, slow it down with this kid. You know, we, we want this to be a long-term thing. We don't want him burned out by the time he's 30, which, you know, I look at it two different ways. I look at it like like he's got a point. I don't, you know, you, you want to be handled with care with this kid. But also like, hey, dude, stay in your lane here. If the Phillies want to bring him up and pitch him, they should pitch him. Well, all right, so I'll disagree with you a little bit in that, I don't mind Boris doing what he's doing I, in this situation. I think his desire and job to look out for the long-term interest of a client like Andrew Painter 
in the long term works to the Phillies' advantage. And my colleague Dave Murphy at the Inquirer wrote a really smart column about this, where you Boris wants to earn money yes. through painter. So he wants painter to be healthy in the long term. And so to that end, I don't mind him coming forward and saying, hey, let's take our time. The kid is only 19. You want him to pitch for a long time. I want him to pitch for a long time. The danger, I think, in a situation like this is not necessarily that Andrew Painter, and this is going to sound really terrible and weird. Yeah. It's not necessarily that the the UCL snaps and he has to have Tommy John surgery. That's almost like a rite of passage now for pitchers in Major League Baseball. Or right fielders. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, but Murph made this point in his column. What you don't want is a situation like what happened to the Mets with Jacob deGrom. Yeah. Where the injury lingers over one year, two years, three years. DeGrom started only 37 games in his final three seasons with the Mets. Now, part of that was the 2020 season, the pandemic. You know, they only played 60 regular season games. But still, you're not getting him in the way that you need him and want him. Yeah, you want it one more. It's it's like all in or out. Exactly. No in between. Exactly. So if if they were to shut him down for the year, shut Andrew Painter down for the year, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. The, The irony of this is not only do you have this news coming out about Andrew Painter, you have Ranger Suarez with tightness in his left forearm. Sent home from the World Baseball Classic. And we all went into this spring training saying, okay, are Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola going to feel any effects of pitching as much as they did last season? Clearly Nola was was gassed yep. in the World Series, and Wheeler had pitched a lot. Mm-hmm. He was great in Game 6, but he had obviously pitched a lot. How are they going to rebound? Well, now you've got concerns among the younger four cats. starters, two of whom were really you know, you were you were hopeful for big yeah. things from. No, you're right, and th- that's the irony here. And and two fifths potentially of your rotation could be down. Now, again, they're saying with Suarez, no big deal. But I hear forearm tightness. I, look, Mike, I hear ulnar and forearm. T- I start to get you know. Yeah, everybody's shivers. And ten A should be yeah poised and yeah. And, and and really, the shame of it is, I, I believe they're, they're this is such a talented roster that. Injuries are the only thing that could derail this team. Like, they're going to be good, man. It's a great division, but they're going to be really good. Yeah, but but think about it now, Rob. You're looking at a season where Bryce Harper isn't back. You say to yourself, oh, my gosh, mm-hmm. they're going to end up giving away games through no fault of their own because they don't have their full complement of players that they can't afford to give away. You yeah. know, a loss in April or May counts just as much as one in August and September. Agreed, agreed. All right, look, so a lot to react off of just there, just with the Eagles and with the Sixers and with the Phillies. We come back, we're going to get your reaction to that, but we're also going to dive into the Flyers, Mike, um, because they they mercifully finally <laughs> did something yesterday. And we're also not going to overlook the fact that – now, granted, Penn still has life. Mm-hmm. Okay, one thirty today at Princeton, they play. So you, there's a chance that one Philadelphia area team gets in. But it looks like this could be an across-the-board sweep here with no Philadelphia teams for the first time since 1977 going to the big dance, the City Six or the Big Five, if you will. We've got to talk about that because yeah. it, it is a – I know that there isn't the same heightened level that maybe we grew up on or whatever that it was back in the day. I want to kind of explore why that's the case. What's happened here to the uh, to the Big Five and the City Six? So we'll do all of that. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. And as I mentioned, we got Todd Zalecki coming up at eleven. Zach Berman at twelve o'clock. We'll have our doctor at eleven forty five, and we'll talk about some of these Phillies. And injuries. we have a, we have an incredible 
doubleheader of what we're watching. Oh, yes, at eleven twenty-five. Do we even want to say it, or we just? Oh no, let's we'll stick just, around. Stick around for it. It's great. Yeah, that, that that's it is two heavyweights. I see what I did there. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Mike Sielski, I'm Rob Ellis in for Glenn today. WIP Sports Time is ten twenty-two. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Rob Ellis in for Glenn Macnow on this uh, kind of rainy, wet Saturday. Hopefully it'll it'll clear up because I know there's a lot of parades in the area, a lot yeah. of St. Patrick's Day parades and whatnot. Did you see who the Grand Marshal of the St. Patrick's Day Parade is going to be? No. The former, I guess you'd maintenance custodian keeper of the Palestra. Oh, Dan Harrell. Dan Harrell. The man himself. Yep. Yes. That's, I, is he, is he, I think he's doing the Springfield Parade, or is it the Philadelphia Parade? I think, I think he's doing Philadelphia. the Philadelphia one. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. That is awesome. Great man. Great Philadelphia sports character and figure. And, and by the way, if you can't tell the difference from our voices, I'm Rob, he's Mike. I, we have a very similar timber, I think, Mike. And, you know, and, and the Philadelphia accent. Muddy patois, as they say. <laughs> so I was really pleased to be able um, to do this show. Not that... I'm happy that Glenn is not here or anything like that. What are you trying to say, Mike? (laughs) But the reason I'm happy is that it finally shows people, listeners, that we are two different people. Yes. Uh, Because I get mistaken for you a lot, and I imagine you get mistaken for me. And I don't like it. Gotta be honest. Thankfully. It's a hurt to my reputation. Damages my reputation. You're an extremely handsome man. So that that goes a long way. Um, All right. So let's, we'll get to the phones in a second, Mike, but. Let's go to uh, prong number four here sure. uh, in the Philadelphia Flyers because you have written about this for years. Uh, you have been as staunch a critic, and I mean that in a positive way. You, you are not afraid to call them on the carpet for the insanity that's going on with this organization. So here's the let, – let, let's start with this. So Chuck Fletcher's fired. Yes. Please – and this is not a rhetorical question. I need help with this from <laughs> you and from our callers. The timing of this. Yeah. Why is he allowed to oversee the trade deadline? Why do you trot him out the following week to a Q&A with the paying customers and allow him to be booed publicly? Why don't you do this, I don't know, January 3rd after the holidays? Why did he? Why was he allowed to start the season as the GM? How does this timing make any sense? Well, I think... Part of it is that the Flyers have never been known as a forward-thinking organization. And so I thought, I think that they felt like they could get through this season relying in a way on the apathy of the fan base, that nobody's going to notice that we didn't fire Chuck midway through the season and we'll let him get through the trade deadline. And then at the end of the year, if things go as they, have, they appear they're going to go and have gone, we'll make changes in the offseason. I don't think they anticipated the anger that came out of both the trade deadline and the aftermath of that, particularly the town hall meeting with the season ticket holders that Chuck was at and was and was treated just to booze mm-hmm. and catcalls and all those kinds of things. And I think for the organization, I think they'll tell you that this was kind of the, the last straw. It was like we were going to make the change anyway, but after what happened at the deadline where you had— So this did it because everything else was fine up until this well, point. Well, it's not so much that it was fine. It was like, okay— Enough's enough. Yeah. Um, you have James Van Riemsdyk, who is going to be an unrestricted free agent, and you can't trade him. You can't get a bag of pucks and mm-hmm. a decent skate sharpener for him. Uh, they they said, okay, enough's enough. Now, to me, the bigger issue is, and, and you know, I, I, I've heard you speak about this with respect to, like, the clean, fresh start that the organization needs, and uh, they need to clean things out. And I agree with you completely. 
this to me is an opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. They have to take this thing in a direction that they have been reluctant to take it in basically their entire existence, which is break the thing down and build it back up again. They've got to go into this offseason saying, we are not trying to improve this team for next season. We are trying to improve it for 26-27, 27-28, 28-29, and we need to get people in here who are not <sighs> lifers mm-hmm. with this organization and say, you guys had your chance, it's been a great run, now we've got to modernize. All right, here's the question I have. Do the people above Chuck Fletcher, do they have the wherewithal, the ability to do that? Can they recognize that that's what needs to happen? I, I, because I still, with all due respect, and he's, he's a great guy, I see Danny Briere taking over as the interim. And, Mike, I'm so shell-shocked from this. All I see is a former flyer, another former flyer. Well, I know he's younger, and I get it. He's not, he's not the, the Broad Street bully days and all that. I get it. But still, I, I have a mistrust for this group, this this Comcast run. Who knows? There's no real name or face. Dave Scott, nobody knows who he is. I have a real uh, lack of uh, belief that they can get it right. Well, I'll say two things to that, Rob. Number one, from what I understand, and um, Anthony Sanfilippo at Crossing Broad has done some pretty good reporting about this. Yes, Danny Briere is a former flyer, but he is not... He doesn't know the secret handshakes. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and Danny has been around the sport enough in other organizations uh, and is of the temperament and personality that he's going to be his own man. So if he becomes the general manager, I think the hope is that he and John Tortorella, who he gets along well with and has a good working relationship and who has been kind of the tail wagging the dog in this organization Very since much. he got here, saying this is a mess and it needs to be fixed that the two of them will kind of break out of the old boys network Mm -hmm. and take the franchise where it needs to go. The other wild card here, and this is a name that may not be familiar to certain Flyers fans, but it's one you should familiarize yourself with and is one worth watching is a guy named Dan Hilferty, who is in now as the new— Yeah, worked for Independence Blue Cross, has been a power broker in this city, in this region for a while. St. Joe's guy. And is now the CEO of Comcast Spectacore. He has worked a lot with getting the World Cup to Philadelphia. He is a mover and a shaker. He is a Philadelphia guy. He is vacation at the Jersey Shore, go to St. Joe's. Mm -hmm. If he starts to take a more forward-facing role here, I think that bodes relatively well for what the Flyers could become. Uh, I hope you're right, Mike. Because what, what they have done to systematically destroy the most loyal, diehard fan base is nothing short of it's remarkable and embarrassing and disgraceful what they've done. Yeah, you could, you could always count on the Flyers. They weren't necessarily the biggest fan base of the four major teams throughout the the years that we've you know, certainly that you and I have been growing up as fans and media members covering the teams. Um, but their fan base was as passionate or more passionate than any of the four. And it's sad to see what it's become. I took my two sons to a game Sunday uh, when the Flyers beat the Red Wings. Okay. And there was a decent crowd mm-hmm. because it was Grateful Dead Night at the Wells Fargo Center. <laughs> so there were a lot of baby boomers there <laughs> in tie-dye t-shirts. How's Bob Weir on the power play? Uh, he's got a heavy shot. Okay. Um, but uh, the atmosphere was just dead. Yeah. It was just dead. And there were. it wasn't like the building was half empty. There were plenty of people there, but the atmosphere was just dead. Mm-hmm. I went, they, Mike, got, I went a few weeks ago. And it was dollar ice cream night. People were more excited 
to go get ice cream between the intermissions than than the crowd it, pay, paying attention to the game. It was unbelievable. So I, I definitely echo what what you're saying from Sunday. Yeah, and I think it's gotten to the point now where the players inside within the fire to realize finally that something's got to change. Yeah, I mean it only took yeah. years. It's only been, what forty eight and yeah I, I mean and, and one magical lightning in a bottle 2010 aside from that it's 26 years imagine rob i mean you, you wonder how history plays out and how it affects the way we perceive things imagine if the flyers had not won that shootout on the last regular season game against the rangers yeah. and had missed the playoffs maybe things would have come around faster maybe point. things would have changed faster it's a fair enough and point. that 2010 run kind of uh, had the wrong kind of effect on this franchise. All right, and the other point is, and and you, I get that there isn't the same level of love that there maybe was back in the day when they were having doubleheaders at the Spectra or at the Palestra, and you know everybody was so invested in college basketball in this town. It, it's definitely waned. There's no question. We both went to Big Five schools. You went to LaSalle. I went to Temple. Look, first off, credit to Villanova, uh, and it, I mean, aside from this year, and they had a bit of a down year. You knew that was coming. There was the transition after Jay Wright. Villanova's been dominant, and they've run laps around everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, But this is more of a general of all of them. And you could exclude Nova, I guess. What's happened here, Mike? I mean, we're, we're staring at the likelihood of nobody in this year. A lot of mediocrity with Temple, a lot of mediocrity with St. Joe's. I think, I think Fran Duffy actually did an incredible job at LaSalle considering he what he took over. Yeah. But this is not what we're accustomed to here in this city. How has it gotten to this point? Well, it's never the one thing. Uh, And I think the schools that are in the city, with the exception of Villanova, have kind of been caught in between a bit in the arms race throughout college sports. How do you make more money? Do you get to the bigger conference? Kind of finding your niche. Certainly your alma mater, Temple, has been caught up in that, uh, where they've kind of, I feel like they've lost a sense of who they were. Mm -hmm. It was one thing to be in the Atlantic 10 with John Chaney and these other schools, and now you're chasing football money and all that kind of stuff. The other aspect of it, too, is that the demographics of these schools have changed so much. This isn't a situation anymore where kids grew up in the city, going to a Catholic high school, taking the trolley to the palestra, and then going to St. Joe's or LaSalle or Penn or Temple or wherever. Um, These universities are drawing students from outside the area now more and more. And these kids don't grow up with the traditions of the Big Five like you and I did. And once... These schools get into a spiral like LaSalle, which has made the tournament once since 1992, like St. Joe's, which has really struggled, like Temple, which has struggled. Uh, It's hard to pull out of it. And you need enthusiasm. You need money from alumni. uh, And you need facilities. And those are harder to come by nowadays. Mm -hmm. There's no question. It has changed, man. That is for sure. It it is is, all the more remarkable what Jay Wright was able to do uh, for all that time at a smaller, you know, Catholic school. But nonetheless, he was able to do it. That's for sure. We'll see if that uh, that rebounds. And again, Penn plays Princeton today, so they're not out of it yet. There is a chance that somebody gets in. Uh, All right, let's go to John in Maniunk. John, you're on 94 WIP. John kicks it off. What's happening, John? Delco, Rob, and Mike. How's it going, guys? Hey, John. I got two quick uh, birds, birds questions for Mike. Um, Fire away! I know we're trying to we're trying to fill the void on defense. So I think most of us know that Nakobe Dean will slide in a uh, starting linebacker role. Any other guys on special teams that could maybe jump up to be a starting player and function properly? Uh, it's hard to say at this point, John. Um, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that T.J. Edwards is back here. I think I think you get him at a reasonable season. rate. Yeah, yeah and. 
they need, you're right about N'Kobe Dean, they need him to step into the starting lineup, I think, and play more in some fashion. Um, but it's hard to say, you know, do you want a plug-and-play guy necessarily? Um, look, T.J. Edwards was a very solid player for them. He was on the field a lot for them. That's rarer in today's day and age um, because of the way the sport has changed. Now, that it may swing back because you're going to need linebackers on the field to defend the run, and teams ran the ball more and more effectively last season than they had in some time in the NFL. So more than promoting a special teams player, I would think that maybe they might go out and try to add somebody, you know, at a reasonable price. What about uh, Bradley from uh, Temple there, Rob? The, the, the um, linebacker? I, yeah, I wouldn't expect him to step in and play a big role as an every-down linebacker, John, but certainly okay. you, you may see him a little bit more. I'll give you a, another name that maybe to keep in mind. Christian Ellis, when, when he got an opportunity last year, did a really good job special teams-wise. I, I think he may be a guy that contributed a little bit more on defense. But Sean Bradley's a core kind of guy that you need special teams-wise. Um, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect him in a giant role uh, from a defensive standpoint. Okay, my other question is, so um, the contract coming up for Jalen Hurts, will that kick in next year or the impact will be the year after that? I never understood that fully. Uh, well, I mean, it depends on the details of it, but it would kick in, I would think, the following. 24. Not, 24, yeah. Um, yeah. He'll make about 4, 4.3 next year, yeah. somewhere in that, that range. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're going to get one more year of Jalen at a reasonable price, and then after that, you know, the superstar money would kick in yeah. um, from that point forward. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know why we're so strapped for next year. If he's uh, only making $4 million, you know, I think they should be able to – yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of intricacies of the of the way the cap works, and I don't know that some of that doesn't hurt them for this upcoming year if he signs an extension. Uh, I think there, there there may be implications on that. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I don't know about that either. The, the one thing I will say, and, and John, you know, thanks so much for the call. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Um, they've kicked the can, and we use that phrase a mm-hmm. lot with Howie, they've kicked the can down the road so much that that sort of thing catches up to you after sure. a while. That's why they restructure Lane Johnson. That's why they'd love to restructure Darius Slay. They did Jake Elliott yesterday for a little bit of money. Exactly. But. You're, you're trying to pull from wherever you can because you're just kind of putting it off, mm-hmm. you know, to the following season and the following season and the following season. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've got a lot of these kind of calls, Mike, where people will say, I'm tired of the one-year rental. And I don't quite understand that. Like, you knew, we kind of knew what last year was going to be. And... You know, the likelihood of all of these guys, Bradbury, C.J., Gardner-Johnson, you know, uh, Kaiser White, just to name a few, all coming back, we knew it was slim. And and what happened was it was kind of a perfect storm. I mean, in a, in a positive and a, and a kind of a negative. It's bittersweet. So the, the, the sweet part is those guys almost across the board had, had career years, mm-hmm. which helped you be 14-3 and three and get to a Super Bowl, right. okay? Downside is they all had career years, and they're going to go out and explore on the free, the free agent market and get crazy money, and you're probably not going to be able to bring them all back just the way it goes. I'm okay with a mix and match. Of course you want your foundation to be draft picks. And for the most part, if you look at it on the offensive side, between the offensive line, the quarterback, the tight end, and at least one of your two stud receivers, they are. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to mix and match in here. That's just today's NFL. Like, that's the thing. We're, we're, we're discounting that Howie can't go out and grab a couple of these guys at an okay rate who maybe are on, you know, betting on themselves kind of deals. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We had this year. Like you said, Rob, this is sports now. I think what you're talking about is something that is intrinsic to fans of sports and I think is particularly strong in the Philadelphia market, which is when a player or athlete has success here, people feel a measure of connection to him or her, and they want that player to stay here, to form a bond. And in the years before, let's say, free agency in the NFL, that was a hell of a lot easier. The players couldn't go anywhere. And so if you had Chuck Bednarik, Chuck Bednarik was going to stay in Eagle. Yeah, uh, 60 was, jersey. You could, yeah. you could wear that bad boy for 14 right. years. Right, there was nowhere for him to go. A player like Brandon Graham or Jason Kelsey now is so much rarer. Yeah. Uh, not just in the NFL, but frankly in, in pretty Sports. much every sport. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the NBA. Look at the way these guys kind of use the power and leverage they have to go play where they want to play. The issue, I think, is fans want to root for their team. Yeah. And they want to feel a measure of connection to the guys who wear that uniform in their city, in their market. And so when a James Bradbury comes along and he plays great for a year, they, of course, want him to stay. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we laid a lot out in the first 44 minutes. You want to dive in, sink your teeth into anything, we will get your reaction. 215-592-9494. 11 o'clock, Todd Zalecki. We have what you're, what we're watching coming up at 1125. I can't wait for that. Uh, and then at 12 o'clock, it'll be Zach Berman from The Athletic. So a lot to dive into today for sure. Man, it's never a dull moment in Philadelphia sports. Uh, I am Rob Ellis in for Glenn Macknell along with Mike Sealski. WIP Sports Time is 1044. Yeah, yeah. Mike's favorite song to bring us back. Yes. Welcome back in, everybody. Rob Ellis, Mike Sealski on this Saturday. <laughs> You know, Name last, that artist, Mike. I have no idea. Last week, uh, Nick is producing this show, but last <laughs> week Dan, Dan yes. Wilson was producing, and I made a Neil Diamond reference, and he came out in one of the breaks to Sweet Caroline with the expectation that I would be singing along to it. Like, look, uh, this is not a karaoke You didn't give night. him a bop, bop, bop. No? <laughs> Nothing on, like that. So good. So yeah, good. There you go. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's an I OD. That. Uh, I expect it in the next hour. You can expect anything you want, young man. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's happening. There you go. Um, yeah, it's always. I always like the uh, the different mix that we get sometimes. Yeah, back from uh, from commercials. That's they come sure. back with like little Latin loopy loop or something. <laughs> Let's go to Fred in Haddonfield as we go back to the. Fred.
Maybe not even maybe not even that. I'm just putting somebody in front of him, and I'm shooting guys to cover him uh, to come when he gets the ball. Uh, and I'm switching up who's going to be in what position to cover him. I'm not letting Embiid get into a rhythm against one guy. Um, so that's my Yeah, I mean, he's part. always the, – the guys who have given him the most fits were like the, the Marcus Gasol sort of wide-body types mm-hmm. have, have generally given him a tougher time than some others. And, and your point, Fred, about sending different people from different places at him is well taken. There are times where he – hesitates a little bit to recognize where the double team is coming from and find the open man. He can be good at at it at times, but uh, sometimes that gets him into trouble. Right, and it's got to be at the end of the of the clock. If you send guys towards him at the front, then he's going to have time to pass. But if he feels the pressure to shoot and you send guys on him, he's going to, you know, he'll feel the pressure more. Mm-hmm. Fair uh, enough. What's the, your other point? The... Other important point is I can't stand the slow first halves and the extreme. (laughs) Neither is that language, and you're gone. You got that, Nick? We good. All right. Oh, man. It it really ticks him off, though, Rob. Yeah, he described it as BS. Um, Look, part of it is that's just the NBA to an extent. However, Mike, so let's go back to this playoff notion and and them getting out of the second round. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things. One – they are, and they have been all year, a very poor rebounding team. Yes. Okay, which hurts you in a half-court set. There's no question. Um, they were actually an okay defensive team early in the year, and since January 1st, when, by the way, they're 23-8 and eight as from a record standpoint, and they're, I think they're the second offense in, in terms of mm-hmm. rating. They're 20th defensively. Yeah. And we've especially seen it over the course of the last two weeks where, it, I mean – you're giving up 130, 140. I mean, last night was 119, which is an insane, but still. I mean, you were down big. You're down 21 in that game. Defense is a major issue. You have Harden and Maxey on the floor together, man. It, it is tough. Look, everybody loves Tyrese Maxey, and rightly so. Um, he's not a good perimeter defender. Yeah. Uh, James Harden has been productive, you know, has been everything you would want really from good him year. Really as good. an offensive player. Yep. Not a good perimeter defender. Yep. And that is so much of the league now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is something that they're going to have to find a way to overcome. And, you know, P.J. Tucker can only do so much for you right. in that regard. And you're asking an awful lot of Embiid, who is an excellent defensive post player. Um, you know, I was at that game a couple of weeks ago where John ja Morant, when he was still playing oh. for the Memphis Grizzlies, oh. you know, goes to the hole and Embiid meets him at the summit and blocks the dunk. It's better than any dunk you're going to see. Like, to me, that's as great a basketball play as you're going to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, so no complaints from him. But I do think, Rob, and this is kind of what we're getting at, you are asking so much of him all the time. Does he need to, does he need to be better than the playoff Embiid he's been in recent years? He absolutely does. They're not going to go anywhere if he's not taking his game as great as he is now to an to an even higher level. But I still wonder about that supporting cast. Yeah. I, I still really do. And and they're still in a situation, I think, where you can't afford to take Joel off the floor. Mm-hmm. You can't. They still haven't figured out the backup center spot. Which is crazy that we're talking about this after all these years. After all these years and in the modern NBA, but this is the team for whom it really matters. All right, can I throw one more thing in there apropos of nothing? Do we really need a video tribute to Matisse Thibel? <laughs> Did he give this city that much that we have to take a moment to honor him? He couldn't even get off the bench before the trade deadline because of his severe offensive limitations. 
he deserves a video tribute. Can we stop with this? This is this is the case throughout sports, though, Rob. A guy spends a few years with oh. one team, he comes back with another team, and he's given a video tribute. Um, I would not have given one to Matisse Thibel. Um, you know, maybe it gave the Sixers a shot in the arm last night. But I'm you know, um, but that was nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those just kind of minor I, he, annoyances he, with modern. He's sports. a nice enough guy. We yeah. don't need a video trip. No, to we don't. Give me a break. All right. I'm going to get Star in here and then we're going to we'll hit a timeout. Star, you're on 94 to be IP. Hey, listen, real quick. I got to do the radio cliche. First time, long time. Ah, cool. Thanks for calling. I hope Star. nobody stole your thunder, Star. <laughs> hey, listen, I got uh, two points on Eagles and Sixers. One of the Sixers, Rob and Mike. Like, the colossal mistakes they made with these picks. When I see Mikel Bridges having the oh. games that he's having. For Zaire, are you kidding for Zaire Smith and Brett Brown to remind him of Kawhi Leonard? In what universe does he remind you of Kawhi Leonard? <laughs> I, I mean, and, and the fact that Brett Brown was the de facto GM during that stretch because they couldn't figure it out kills you even that much more. Yeah, what he's doing for the Nets is unbelievable. He, he is exactly what they need, by the way, on every level. And also, guys, about the Eagles, right? It just makes me get Super Bowl loss hurt more because imagine what our mindset would be now if we won the chip and then we're facing with, you know, free agency. Maybe we would take it a little bit better, you know, because we have a chip, another chip. Yeah, that you, you, could know, de- just, you could very easily deal with whatever came their way this offseason exactly. had they won it, yeah. And, Rob, one last thing with you. I don't even know what, Mike, but I know you do the sports betting thing. You know the worst thing that happened to me, Rob, was that I started betting sports betting? It's the worst thing ever, man. Okay, because these guys who make these lines, either they're psychic or something's going on because I had that thing where I could have won a thousand dollars when Marcus Smart needed one more assist in the game oh. with two overtime. <laughs> all I can tell hey, Star, all I can tell you, there's a reason why those buildings keep getting built. Yes. Okay. That is right. That and, is true. And and there are more and more sports apps popping up. There's a reason for that. You know, it's I've, not because they're losing money. I, I've never been uh, a sports better, a gambler, really of any kind. I've never paid attention to it. Yeah. Um, I I, I kind of it's so in your face now. Yeah. It's amazing and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't want to sound like a you know. Get like off a, my lawn. A, well, no, more like a you know like a Puritan or something yeah, like that. Totally. Like, it's kind of skeevy. You know, it just kind of <laughs> is. Like I I don't know. I'm I'm different in that regard. I yeah. never watched a game like. And felt compelled to put money on it. I, I just wanted to watch it. And now that it's everywhere, I'm kind of like, oh, well, I, I mean, even this. with the in-game betting, it's just it's it's insanity. It's non-stop. Yeah. Who it's wins the tip? Yeah. Who, who you know? Where's yeah. the kickoff go to? A total for the first quarter. You know, it's just like, whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> At what point do you just kind of step back and say, all right, enough's enough? But yeah, I, hey, I'm with you. I hear you. All right, Mike Sielski, uh, Rob Ellis, in for Glenn Mack. Now we come back. We'll continue with your reaction to everything we laid out, and we are going to hear from Todd Zalecki from Clearwater. Give us an update on what's happening with the Phillies' arms and some of the injuries that they're dealing with. WIP Sports Time is 10.58. All right, Saturday morning. Welcome back in, everybody. Rob Ellison for Glenn Macknow, along with Mike Sealski. Mike? Hello, everyone. That is not Glenn Macknow. That is <laughs> Rob Ellis. That is not Mike Sealski. That is Rob Ellis. We get uh, confused <laughs> for each other ourselves. quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes we do. Um, and in this hour, at this time, we are fortunate to be joined by 
The Phillies beat reporter, long time for MLB.com, down in, is I don't know if he's in Clearwater, I don't know if he's with the team at the, you know, Port Charlotte with the Tampa Bay Rays, but... Maybe he's at Frenchie's. Could be, bellied up to the bar at Frenchie's. Uh, Todd Zalecki joins us. Hey, Todd, where exactly are you uh, in the Sunshine State? Uh, at this moment, I'm driving over the uh, Courtney Campbell Causeway to Tampa, for the Phillies-Yankees tilt this afternoon uh, at concrete-filled George M. Steinbrenner Field. <laughs> That's hallowed ground down there, Todd. I hope you yeah. you bring the proper amounts of reverence when you get oh, to Legends sure. Field in Tampa. Go to the Costanza wing, Todd. I, I, I will genuflect before the George Steinbrenner statue outside before I get to the media gate. All right. Well, you know, just conduct yourself with the proper amounts of respect. Um, Absolutely. All right. So let's let's get right to this, to the, the topic that everybody is talking about, arms, sore, and tender. Uh, tell us your take and kind of where things stand with Andrew Painter. How how bad is this? How bad could this be? And what do you, how do you think the Phillies and, and Painter and Scott Boris are going to end up handling this? So uh, a couple things. Before the news broke, uh, before they made the announcement yesterday, obviously there was this long, long delay, and people were like, oh, this is bad. This is really, really bad. Well, uh, most, noted, most noted orthopedist um, in, uh, in terms of elbow injuries, is they announced it as a sprained proximal UCL. And I say that's interesting because in all the years I've covered the Phillies, whenever they announce a UCL injury, they announce it generically as a UCL injury. And what, what I thought was interesting is that a proximal tear is different than a distal tear. Now, don't exactly ask me what the big difference is between the two, all I know is this, there have been studies done, and in a recent study, 17 of 19 pitchers, professional pitchers who had a proximal tear, successfully returned to the mound without surgery. Mm. Only four of 13 pitchers with distal tears successfully returned without surgery. So that leads me to believe that the Phillies, in a sense, and Andrew Painter, in a sense, uh, got somewhat lucky in where this spraying this tear in his UCL is. So I think there's, there is some legitimate confidence and optimism that he will take four weeks off, he will very slowly ramp up, and he could get through this, much like Aaron Nola did several years ago. So, Todd, for, for the, uh, you know, the unwashed here like me, is a tear and a sprain the same thing? Is there a, is there a difference there? Is there a distinction? Mm-hmm. You're saying tear. I, I read sprain with what they put out. Is, that the, is it one and the same? It is one and the same. Okay. Yeah, you know, obviously, the, so the Phillies say sprain, but a sprain in a ligament means there's a tear okay. in the ligament. Okay. So, um, I, but but obviously, I get why the Phillies say sprain because you say he has a torn UCL. People start freaking out and go, oh "My gosh, his career's over." You know, this is he should have Tommy John surgery. But uh, there's, I mean, I, w- I would say a lot of pitchers right now currently are pitching with some sort of tear in their in their UCL. It just kind of depends where it is so for that reason i think a lot of people are optimistic that uh some time away 
No. All right, you know, we'll do. We'll put him on hold. Uh, hey, Nick, let's try and get him straightened out there, brother. We'll, we'll put Todd. Todd, if you can hear us, we got you on hold right now, and we're, we're going to get you straightened out. Nick's, uh, Nick's on it. We, we knew we had, we had a little trouble there. Sometimes yeah. you just get through it. The, uh, the cellular service on the causeway, uh, not the greatest. No, you, not the greatest. Yeah, you are correct about that. Well, look, let, let's just, so we get Todd back up, let's start with that, Mike. I mean, and I, and Todd supported it with, with like facts there. Oh, that, yeah. That was great. Um, okay, I feel a little bit better. 17 out of 19 in this study don't need surgery uh, and come back and pitch. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. I think the Phillies are going to have to decide how vital Painter is to them this season. Do you want to run the risk? And yeah. we've got Todd back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's hopefully on the other side of the causeway. Todd, you there? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you guys got me. Hopefully I'm coming in clear now. Sorry about that. No, no worries. So let's move off of Painter just for a second because okay. he wasn't the only pitching arm issue that came up this week. We got Ranger Suarez with tightness in his left forearm. Where do things stand with him? Yeah, so they seem to be, again, um, you never know how it's going to turn out, but they seem to be genuinely unconcerned about it, unconcerned enough about the forearm tightness that – they are not giving him an MRI exam. So they really feel as this is something minor. Uh, so they're going to shut, they, they've shut him down for a few days from throwing and, and they're going to give it a shot uh, to see if he can pick back up. But, you know, anytime any pitcher has any sort of forearm tightness, you know, they call it triceps tendonitis, biceps tendonitis, forearm tightness, it's all connected to the elbow, you know, so you have to have some, you have to proceed with some some level of caution there. But I'm telling you, yesterday, when this happened, nobody seemed to be concerned. Mm. But I've also been through the situation enough where they go, yeah, we think it's okay. And then he starts throwing in a few days, and then he gets shut down. So it's, it's definitely worth monitoring very closely over the next couple of weeks because you lose Ranger Suarez now, and now you're talking about – Michael Plasmeyer pitching in the rotation to start the season. You're talking about Christopher Sanchez pitching in the rotation to start the season. Now you start really getting into the nitty-gritty of the Phillies starting pitching depth. And, Todd, off of that, um, timeline-wise, I, I get what Painter is. You know, we're looking at four weeks, or even if they're backdating it to when he got hurt initially. Is is there no timetable on Ranger? Is the expectation that he'd be ready and whatever it is, 19 days till the regular season starts? What, what's the expectation on him? Yeah, the expectation is that they think he'll be ready to go that first week of the season. Okay. You know, because of off days and things like that, you can, you know, you, you might be able to push him back to be the number five starter if you feel like he needs an extra day or two. So they, they have that option. But, but the expectation right now is they think that he'll be ready to go that first week. So, Todd, where do things stand? Rob and I kicked around this this thought that, early in the show that heading into the season, you know, the Phillies are going to be concerned about workloads with respect to Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola because they pitched so much last season uh, that you want to keep an eye on them and make sure they're fresh and, and all of that. There's no after effect. Is there any concern with those two guys at all in that regard or how have they looked, how have they felt, you know, only because, you know, you're now looking at, as you said, kind of questions about the rotations depth, you know, anytime arm issues come up. Yeah, they certainly they want to monitor them closely. But by all accounts, uh, both of them are in, in good shape. And uh, according to Rob Thompson, he says he's going to kind of treat it like any other season. Like Rob is kind of old school in this sense that he doesn't think that you need to like 
pull back on guys too much. Now they're not going to go crazy and, you know, have like these guys throwing 120 pitches the first few times through. They're going to be careful in, in that sense. But in terms of like, you know, pulling them out maybe earlier than needed, I, I doesn't seem like they're at that point or, or they feel that that is, that is necessary. You know, Rob has a lot of experience with that being in the Yankees organization for years and a lot of their deep postseason runs. And, you know, so he said the way that they handled it was, you know, they would maybe adjust their off-season program, but they did not like the idea of them coming into camp and then starting to build up because he said that would put them in a bad spot and that would actually put the bullpen in a bad spot because if Wheeler and Nola weren't ready to go by opening day, then you start putting more wear and tear on the bullpen and then it kind of has a domino effect. Uh, we're with, speaking with Todd Zalecki, MLB.com. Todd, let, let's talk about Nick Castellanos because I get asked about him probably more than any Philly. Okay, <laughs> right. I'm sure you do, so I'm going to follow the trend here. Um, I'm I'm looking at his numbers. I've watched a decent amount. You're down there all day. You know, you, you're you're watching everything. Uh, the numbers aren't going to overwhelm thus far in the spring. He's he's hitting 100. He does have a home run, three runs driven in, but a but a 280 on base, et cetera. Are are you seeing strides here? Are you seeing improvement? Some of the things they worked on in the offseason, possibly, is he not chasing the way that he was during the regular season and the postseason? What's your evaluation thus far of him? Yeah, I, I think he's looked a little better. I think certainly his mindset is better. You know, he talked early in camp about just how uncomfortable he was last year. You know, he had the birth of his child. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, there was the story that came out about he bought Ben Simmons' house. The next thing you know, people are following him home or you know knew, knew where he lived and that was unnerving to him so there, and there was there was an, some players adjust to philly really well some players don't uh it definitely took him a lot longer so he seems to be in a much better mindset uh in terms of it but in terms of the results yeah you're right like you know he hasn't been he hasn't been overwhelming at the plate uh and so i've had a lot of people ask me about him and i guess the only thing i could say is that it's, it's still early uh you know he had a you know, I've seen a lot of players have really bad springs and then come out and have, you know, have great seasons. You know, Nick, Nick had a great spring. He got off to a good start, and then he kind of, you know, slowly spiraled out, and then he started to pick it back up, and then he got hurt. Um, but there's no doubt, guys, that they need Nick Castellanos to have a big season and to bounce back. I mean, he's got four years and $80 million left on this contract, and, and they really need him to hit. Uh, which he did not do last year. Last year was like the worst year of his career. Todd, one of the most interesting kind of developments to me in spring has been kind of the battle, so to speak, for bench spots and, you know, bats who can come off the bench. You've got two guys in Derek Hall and Scott Kingery who are hitting really well. <laughs> you know, Kingery's numbers are amazing. Are amazing. Yeah. Hall hit, you know, another home run yesterday, I think. Um Kind of where does that stand, and, and what do you see from, from these two guys in particular? Is Kingery really going to make this roster? I think there's a good chance that he makes this roster, and here's why. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, number one is he's having a great spring, and if you talk to anybody, they will they immediately go, wow, he looks, he looks like how he used to look. And, you know, a lot of springs guys will say, oh, boy, he looks better, but, you know, we need to see more. But everybody seems to think, boy, he's, he's flattened out his swing. He's not taking the uppercut swing. And you're seeing the results on the field. Um, the second thing is, is that he hits right-handed, and they're looking for a backup center fielder for Brandon Marsh. So he could fill that role. They're, they've given Edmundo Sosa some, some shots in that role in the spring, and they're going to continue to give him looks in center field. 
But I think Kingery might be a more natural option. And then third, of course, is that he's being paid $6 million this year. So <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to be able to find a way to get him on the 40-man roster. Dalton Guthrie is on the 40-man roster. He's an option, but he has not played that well this spring. Uh, uh, Jake Cave is, is a non-roster invitee. Uh, he's had a tremendous spring, but he hits left-handed, so doesn't seem to be a natural fit there. So I think Kingery is really opening some eyes. People really seem to be impressed. It's early, though. Like like Nick Castellanos has not been off to a good start. He has time. Uh, you know, Scott Kingery, though, is in a different situation. He's got he's to continue to hit, I think. And then in terms of Derek Hall, for me, I think he is on the team. Um, he's a power-hitting left-handed bat. He did a great job last season as the DH while Bryce Harper was out. He's been a lot more selective at the plate this spring, a lot more selective. And he has also hit left-handed pitching, which he has not done in the past. So for me, um, you know, if you have Kingery, for instance, Sosa, Josh Harrison, you can all play the infield and the outfield. If you have them on the bench, then you could stick a Derek Hall on the bench as a first baseman slash DH and just hit him sticks or wherever you want to hit him and just have him hit bombs all day and, and uh, really help out the offense. Todd Zalecki, please get to Tampa in one piece. Um, I hope you enjoy a, uh, a lovely dinner at Burns Steakhouse tonight after the game. <laughs> I don't think I can get that in the expense account, but I could give it a shot. Uh, come on. Major League Baseball is earning enough money, you know, that, that you can spend a little bit on a, Take a, uh, shot, a nice Todd. prime rib. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's not bad. You know, like a $100 prime rib, you know. Maybe I'll try to make that work. Yeah, Rob Manfred covers that. Um, seriously, sure. Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, have a good one. Good luck cover and you know covering the team today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, right. Todd. That was Todd Zalecki from MLB.com. It's informative, man. Yeah, that was great. The man drives, and he delivers information at the same time. We learned. That's, now, did that's you know what... sprain is tear? Yeah. Okay, I'm yeah. the only one. <laughs> no, it's, I mean... But that's it's one of those it's one of those situations where, as Todd said, a team is going to use the term "sprain" so it doesn't freak yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, and you're right. He the alarms would be going off. The yeah. T word and the S word are very different. Yeah, they absolutely are. Listen, we're going to get one call in before the break. Uh, Lou is a Flyer season ticket holder. Wants to weigh in on the firing of Chuck Fletcher. Lou, your thoughts on the Flyer situation? Well, first of all, uh, one factor that people have not necessarily added into the firing this week is that season ticket deposits or renewals were last week. And I was a season ticket holder. I did not renew for this past season. And if you follow uh, some of the Facebook season ticket holder sites, a lot of people were not renewing. So they're bleeding season tickets. They Mm. needed a PR boost. Mm. So what you're Uh, saying, what you're saying, Lou, is, as uh, Deep Throat told Woodward and Bernstein, you need to follow the money. Yeah, and I, and I think that's actually why they hired Tortorella, because oh, he, he was the only interesting part of this entire thing. Yep. Anything else, Lou? Actually, well, the other thing is I think they have to move on from, I respect Clark, Barber, Holmgren, even Dean Lombardi. It hasn't worked. Nope. Yeah. So I think I think it's time to move on. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Couldn't agree more. And thanks for the call. They have needed to open the windows in the Wells Fargo Center and let a cleansing breeze blow through that place for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And as we said earlier in the show, Rob, this is the opportunity for them to do it. It really is. Um, I I wonder. 
Mike. Yeah. I wonder. I'm you skeptical. Know, yeah, the way you're skeptical about the Flyers, the way I'm skeptical about the Sixers. Yeah. Um, and trust me, I'm skeptical about the Flyers as well and have been for the better part of a decade. Um, you know, they've just been spinning their wheels for so long. Mm-hmm. Anyway, coming up in the next segment, we're going to do what we're watching. Rob watched something that he just raved about uh, to me yesterday when we were kind of planning the show. I saw something that I enjoyed thoroughly and I think uh, it was actually kind of important in a way. So we'll deal with that. At noon, we're going to have Zach Berman from The Athletic talk about the Eagles. Clay, Robert, and Robert, hang in there. We will get to your calls, 215-592-9494. He's Rob Ellison for Glagon Macnow. I'm Mike Sealski. You, of course, are listening to 94WIP. All right, now Glenn is not weighing in on what we're watching this week, but as usual, what we're watching is sponsored by Guide a Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down and up to three years to pay off interest-free. Call Guide a Door and Window today at one eight seven seven go guida or visit us at goguida.com. So, Mr. Ellis. Great open, by the way. I, can I just say that? I know you hear it every week, but it's a phenomenal open. The, uh, the, the Larry David Go at the pitte. end. Yes. Yeah. Ma- makes me laugh every single time without same, fail. Same. So early in the week, I sat down, I think it was Sunday night, maybe Monday night, uh, because I've been reading online and various news websites about this controversial new Netflix special by a comedian you may have heard of named Chris Rock. I think I'm familiar with that guy. Yeah. yeah. And so it's an hour-long special. He actually recorded it live. It, the first Which time, is rare, yes, right? Yes. The first time it was telecast on Netflix, he did it live. Mm-hmm. And just like Bill O'Reilly. We'll do it live! That's right. Um, and it is raw. He actually stumbles over his words at one point. But man, is it funny? Is it sharp? It spares no one. Mm. It deals with topics that, generally speaking, aren't topics that get brought up during a stand-up comic special. It was a great, great hour of television and of performance. Wow. Um, I, I was blown away by it. I really was, both by how smart he is, by the way he could be funny and yet make a point at the same time, and just the way he kind of commanded an audience. So... For an hour on Netflix, if you get a chance, take the time to watch the new Chris Rock special. Uh, I want to make sure I get the title of it correct. Let me see here. A so second. Mike's setup is he he does the show standing up, which is which is cool. Yeah, but he's got the mic up by his mouth, as you would expect. Yeah. That's where Mike needs to be. But he's also trying to maneuver, maneuver his I, I'm his twisting keyboard. and turning my body all over yeah, the place. Yeah, he's contorting. The title of the show is Chris Rock's Selective Outrage. And go. it's a term that he uses in the show. And the last thing I'll say about this, Rob, is what, what really made me enjoy the show was the fact that he was willing to push buttons and willing to take on topics and particular people. The end of the show is his entire kind of punch back, so to speak, at Will Smith. Yeah, and he waits till about the last 10, 15 minutes, correct? Yeah, Yeah. for the Oscar slap last year. And he does not hold anything back. And what I really appreciated about it was his willingness to take on kind of these sacred topics and do it in a way that was going to tick sensitive people off. Mm. No matter what side of the political social aisle you're on, 
your ox is going to get gored during the special by Chris Rock. And I like that. We need more of that yeah. in our society, I feel like. Everybody's in their own silos. Everybody watches this particular newscast or reads this particular website. And there isn't a whole lot of crossover anymore. And politics is bleeding into everything. He just takes a flamethrower to all of that. Mm. And it's definitely worth the watch. I, I judge things like this on the star basis. I give this four stars out of four without hesitation. I would recommend it to anyone. That's awesome. And I, and I will. I may watch it tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, I, I've never come away from one of his stand-up comedy specials disappointed. Nope. I, I, will, I will tell you that. And there is an art to being funny while also being timely, while also hitting topical kind of stuff. And making people think. And yeah. he's able to check every single box. That, that's, every re- that's really, when you think about the stand-up comics who have kind of stood the test of time, people like George Carlin and Richard Pryor, and you know, you will go way back to Lenny Bruce, you're talking about pushing the envelope and being funny but commenting on society in an interesting and insightful way. And he does that all over the place mm. in this special. So highly recommend it. But I'm not sure that that special is going to draw people who are listening to our show right now as a as a way to spend their night, you know, of entertainment uh, as much as what you watched for this segment. Okay, so listen, anybody who knows me, who has listened to me, knows that I am an unabashed Rocky hunk. I, I am that guy, okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. I'm a sucker for the Rocky franchise. You are the one guy in Lincoln Financial Field or the Wells Fargo Center who when the home team is down by three points, yes. standing up and cheering when they play the clip from Rocky Two of Adrian lying in the hospital bed saying, win. There's one thing I want you to do for me. Yeah. What's that? Win. Yep. And, and Rob starts tearing up. I do. I, I'm, I'm like, Mickey, what are we waiting for? Take this. Um, the only, I, I don't acknowledge Rocky Five. Let, let me be Oh, that, it never happened. That, that didn't no, happen. Rocky Five is the Godfather Three of the Rocky series. You are it correct. never happened. All right. So I think there's something remarkable in any piece of art that can carry you for 47 years. Mm. Rocky won was 76. Wow. Okay. We're in 2023. For those of you who can do the math and it takes me, I have like fingers and toes out and all that <laughs> other stuff, but it's a long time. Um, and to be able to reinvent itself the way it has with the Creed franchises is all the more remarkable. And on top, the add on to that, Mike, is this Creed 3, Sylvester Stallone is not in it. Right. Okay. He's referenced Rocky characters referenced once in passing, and that's it. So you went to the theater and saw Creed. My son and I went on Wednesday night. Okay. And we went to the theater uh, because he's he's a big fan too. My my not a lot was passed on in terms of my weird quirkiness, but (laughs) my my son loves the Rocky franchise. Awesome. So we went, and I didn't really know what to expect. I was kind of like Stallone's not in it. I don't know, but the first two were good, and I'm a Michael B. Jordan fan. Mm -hmm. Let me let me see what this is all about. And I heard good reviews. I mean, the, the first week, it did 50 million domestic, 100 million globally. <clears throat> that always that doesn't always sway me one way or the other, right. but whatever. So I go, and I will tell you this. Speaking of your star rating system, four. Oh, wow. Okay. Not three, not three and a half, not two, four. Um, it was suspenseful. It was incredibly well written, acted, directed. Michael B. Jordan's the director as mm-hmm. well. Um and there, it, he was great, but I will tell you, the the antagonist in it, mm. who I, I don't want to give too much away, mm-hmm. 
steals the movie and is spectacular. Wow. And his name is Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. And he's been in a lot of stuff. He's a really good actor. The on-screen chemistry with these two is nothing short of amazing. Wow. There's friendship. There's tension. They go back to childhood, and they explain a lot of things. There's some things about, you know, Adonis Creed's character that Mm. you learn about. Okay. They do enough of sort of the formulaic Rocky stuff where you, you, you oh, okay, you're kind of comfortable there with that, but it's it, it's also distinguishes itself in a lot of ways. Okay. It's incredibly well done. Incredibly well done. Wow. Yes. That is that is a high recommendation for, and, and your point about the fact that they have taken the franchise as long as they've taken it and kept it at a relatively high quality, or at least the Creed series has has restored kind of the quality of the yes. original Rocky, Rocky Two, in terms of quality filmmaking. Agreed. And I think that I judge a lot of times, the most simple way I judge a movie, when I knew we were getting close to the end, I was disappointed it was almost over. Mm. I wanted more. And people in the audience, in, in the crowd in the theater were reacting, mm. which is like, that, they're very engaged. It was cool. You know, it's, it sounds very similar. The, the experience you had in the theater watching, it sounds very similar. And again, I, my wife is going to chuckle if she hears this because I bring this up once every couple of weeks. The one that that we had as a family this this summer when we went to see Top Gun Maverick. Yes. Like the reaction in the theater to what's happening on the screen, you're that invested, it's that exciting. Um, that is a great experience, mm-hmm. and you want to have that in a movie. And if Creed Three gives that, then all right, I'll yes, take my money. There you go, Michael B. Jordan, take I'm my in. money. So I'm in. there we go. That's what we're watching this week. Um, let's get back to the phones real quick here. Clay wants to weigh in on college hoops and the Eagles and all that kind of stuff. He's one of our favorites from Kansas City. Clay, what are your thoughts here? Real quick. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. What do you got on the uh, college hoops and the Eagles? On college hoops, let me, well, first of all, on the Eagles, you know, there's a lot of trust, I think, now with agents and players in what the Eagles do. They treat players fairly. You know, they could have franchise tagged Johnson. They didn't do it. Look what they did this week. They released Toth before this, you know, all these free agents hit the market. They're giving Toth a chance to hit the market before the rest of that. So I think we just need to trust Howie a little bit on what they're going to do here with Slay. Because I think there's a lot of trust built up with players and agents in the organization. Yeah, and I think it's hard right now because there, you see so many holes and so many potential departures. That, like we forget how long it took last year to get this ball rolling yep. with Reddick, with AJ Brown, with Bradbury. Yeah, you know Howie is notorious for for you know slow playing things, mm-hmm. and, and this offseason is going to be no different. Yeah, um, we want all the answers now, and we can't have all the answers now. Clay, what's but, your thoughts about college basketball? So listen, I, I'm I grew up here in the Midwest, huge Kansas Jayhawks fan. What you guys are experiencing, I think, in Philadelphia is what we have experienced a little bit here with our baseball team because of the market. Philadelphia is not a small market, but you hit on it. You don't have a big-time football program, and that is impacting what the what conferences these schools align with. Do they have a network that is nationwide? That impacts recruiting, and I just think the level of play, and even Villanova is not, you know, that's going to impact them. So as a Big 12 fan here in the Midwest, I, we're sitting here going, Oklahoma and Texas are leaving, but boy, we want to, you know, we want to expand with some of these Pac-12 schools as they look for a place to go. And it's, and I, and one more thing, and I'll listen off the air. I don't know if you guys know what's going on with this Bally's and Sinclair, yeah, with the, the regional sports networks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is cra- it's in its greed and it's poor planning. 
Uh, but it's really impacting sports to the detriment of the fans. All the stuff here, guys. Great show. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Clay. Thanks so much, Clay. I think, you know, Clay makes an interesting point, and it's one we referenced earlier, Rob, about the role that football plays and mm-hmm. the money and all of that stuff. I'm curious how this is all going to play out with Villanova because the Big East might be unique in this regard, right? Like, it is a conference that is premised on basketball being first, mm-hmm. and it's really the only one of the – Power five, if you want to call that, if it's even considered a power no, you're five right. anymore, that is based around that idea. That's, I mean, it was 10 years ago that these schools, most of them Catholic, broke off mm-hmm. and said, we're going to be basketball first. And they've carved out this niche that is really, really solid. They're, they're renegotiating. Uh, they started negotiations, again, I should say, with Fox to extend the, the TV deal that they have. It's worked very well for Fox. Um, I don't know where that leaves teams like LaSalle and St. Joe's. Um, that are struggling and don't have that kind of football money pouring in. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's the challenge that, that we're really going to see as we move forward here. And how does how does the name image likeness thing impact that as this continues to pile on? Um, yeah, it's. I, I feel like the smaller, in some cases, private schools, not all of them, Temple, certainly not, but how they're impacted by this and how much more difficult this gets. Like, I... We may not have hit bottom, right? As far as this goes, but yeah, I mean, the football thing is is definitely a big piece of this for sure. Yeah, let's get in one more call before we have to uh, take a break here. Robert wants to weigh in on March Madness and on Howie Roseman. Robert, go for oh, it, thanks, hey, Robert. Mike. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much, uh, Mike. Uh, it's nice talking to both of you. Um, I have four points, and then we get to them really quickly. One, I don't know what happened with Temple. I mean, they were on a streak. They beat Houston, and then all of a sudden, February shows up, and they're like, "Okay, we're here." And yeah, I mean, they were very, plan. very up and down all year. You, you had, you know, losing to Wagner and beating Houston tells you the, the swings of this Temple team. Completely. And then, okay, so second, I'll be rooting for Penn. It's disappointing that their last game against Princeton did, went the way it went in overtime. But, um, you know, they still have Sprinkle and, you know, he's what, he's fourth, fourth leading uh, point scorer in the nation. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go for that. Uh, you forgot about Penn State. They're doing great. True. Um, nice run. They're going to play uh, Indiana this afternoon. I'll be rooting for them. Uh, and then fourth, as far as Howie is concerned, um, I I think Howie can pick offensive talent. Uh, show me, a, you know, besides Jordan Davis, show me a defensive starter that he picked. I can't find one. He, he can get him in the free agent market, but as far as drafting is concerned, yeah, I yeah. stay away from that. <laughs> Robert, thanks so much for thanks, the call, Robert. and thanks for that sound effect. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if they if they go after another defensive end. Uh, or a cornerback. You know, Josh Sweat has worked out, but he was a fourth-round pick. Yeah. Um, you know, some of those first-rounders that Howie has dived into. Yeah, I mean, they're older. Fletcher Cox was, a. Yeah. you know, some of those guys. But you're right. I mean, this is – I do think, Mike, they're going to break the trend of the corners in yeah. the first round. I, I Feels would, like that year. I, I would do it if I were them. There's mm-hmm. depth at that position in the draft. They they need depth and talent at that position. Um, it would surprise me if they didn't. Yeah. Anyway. We can get into all that and the rest of the way. Uh, he's Rob Ellis. I'm Mike Sealski. 215-592-9494. You know the number. You know what you're listening to. It's WIP. Nick, I don't know if you're aware of what you've done by playing that clip to come out of the break, but Rob Ellis right now, sitting next to me to my left, is turning into a puddle. Yes. As we speak. I'm glowing like a pregnant woman. He is he is welling up. Yep. He is ready to just bust through the doors of this studio. <laughs> he won't even open the door. He will hurl himself through the glass window of the door 
shattering it as he goes. Oh. He's ready to drink a glass of eggs, eggs. and run to the art museum yep. and beat the snot out of Apollo Creek. See, Correct. see, I knew I, I had to come back with that. Thank there you. was no way I couldn't let that slide throughout the rest of the show. All right, so let's you go. Know, I know you're ready to go. Rob. Let's go. Knuck, right. Knuckle push-ups. <laughs> rest of the show. So this is going to be the most intense, dramatic interview with one of our Cooper docs in the history of this show, <laughs> Dr. Mark Pollard. From Cooper Medical Center joins us. Dr. Pollard, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. All right. So we, we played um, that clip from Rocky II, and we just kind of fired up about it now. So let's get into these questions about Andrew Painter, uh, who's got a sprained, torn UCL. Uh, the Phillies have said he's going to be out for four weeks. Uh, it's possible for he'll be out for longer. Kind of walk us through this. Is is does this just come down to the severity of the sprain or the tear? Uh, does it matter where it's at? Uh, kind of what's the general uh, look at a UCL and and the possibilities of of how long a pitcher, especially one who's nineteen years old, might be out? Yeah, it's well, it's difficult to say. Um, you know, obviously. It's not a good thing to have an abnormality with your uh, UCL. You know, that's a, a ligament that we're all familiar with uh, from, you know, pitchers. You know, we've, I think it's been a big deal since obviously Tommy John back in the 70s or 80s when the, they invented the surgery for it. Um, you know, it used to be career ending. But um, it, as far as things go, as things have progressed with the, uh, Miss Andrew Painter, and I don't follow the news as, as closely as some people might, but from what I understand, you know, he had some discomfort and pain, uh, saw somebody for it, and then went for a second opinion. And so my strong suspicion was that there was obviously a, some kind of abnormality on the MRI uh, study that they got to evaluate the UCL. And there's not universal agreement about what the best thing to do for partial injuries uh, would be. Uh, clearly, for complete injuries where the uh, ligament is torn all the way, usually that's surgical for a pitcher dealing with their pitching arm. Whereas with partial or incomplete injuries, the old school teaching was that most of them would come to surgery, whereas now the, there's some thought that uh, trying some special injections of healing uh, 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 factors into that area and some rest might help. And so it sounds like he, you know, obviously he had a partial injury and they're going to try to rest it. I haven't heard anything about them trying to do any of those specialized injections, which may be a good thing in that it must have been a yeah. very minor minor finding on the uh, uh, on the MRI. Yeah, there's been no public yeah. discussion of any kind of injections or anything like that. You're right. Yeah, so I, hopefully that's a good sign that it's a pretty minor thing and just in an abundance of caution, they're just going to shut them down for a period of time to let things get less tender. And, Doctor, the, the distinction between a, a proximal and a distal, and we're hearing that uh, in Painter's case it's a proximal, that's, that's more encouraging, correct, in terms of healing and not getting surgery? Yeah, most of the information and experience out there is that the uh, the proximal injury, which means you know the the ligament goes from the uh, 
uh, right next to the funny bone on the humerus bone uh, to a region on the ulna bone uh, on the inside. And so proximal would be on the humerus side. And that tends to have more of a favorable prognosis for non-surgical treatment. Uh, so hopefully this is good news. Well, it is. That's encouraging to hear from an expert. Um, last thing from us, doctor, uh, Ranger Suarez, you know, another Phillies pitcher mentioned tightness in his left forearm. Uh, from what we understand, the Phillies seem to not be as concerned about this. Uh, what can tightness in a left forearm be, and uh, can it be something that's relatively minor, as the Phillies seem to, seem to be suggesting it is? Well, you know, tightness in the forearm is kind of a broad and general statement. Uh, it can be something as simple as just a, a muscle strain that you just need to give a little bit of time to settle down. Most of the time for pitchers, it's going to be in the the flexor pronators or the the muscles that uh, make the wrist and fingers uh, bend and flex. And so if if it's just muscle soreness, it just takes a little bit of time. Um, The worrying thing is that those muscles originate from an area right next to the UCL or the ulnar collateral ligament. And so sometimes there's kind of a... uh, overlap between symptoms from one thing to another, but it's encouraging that they classify it as just, you know, stiffness or soreness uh, of the forearm as opposed to elbow. So that's, All right. again, a positive. All right, Phillies fans, so you heard it from Dr. Mark Pollard. Nothing to worry about with either Andrew Painter or Ranger Suarez. <laughs> Dr. Pollard, thank you as always. We always appreciate your insight. All right, hey, thanks a lot. Have a good right. day. Thanks, Doc. All right, so... Not too bad, kind of similar to what we heard from Todd Zalecki. Um, look, all of this is kind of a wait and see. Cautiously thing. optimistic. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Robert from Germantown wants to weigh in on the Phillies. Robert, what do you have? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Hey, Robert. Did you guys pick your stuff up downstairs? I hope it should should be there. Nick is giving us a thumbs up. Yeah. Robert uh, dropped us maybe a little treat. Oh, is that correct? Thank you, Robert. Thank you, always. Robert. Yeah, it's 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 downstairs. Uh, okay. Federal federal donuts and whatnot. Oh. But anyways. Oh, right. hello. Okay. Right. Yeah, you want to find those. You're um, you're all right no matter what Ellis says about you. <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. Um, yes. Well, basketball actually. You know, um, having been a player, a coach, it's nice that Embiid has won two games recently with fadeaways and long range threes at the buzzer. You know, that's nice to see happen. But generally speaking. Uh, you know, coaches like Steve Kerr, or Kerr and Popovich and, you know, Spolstra and guys like that, they're going to run plays to, to get him down in the post, some motion, some movement. Uh, we've been lucky. I mean, I love to see it. It's always thrilling, right, to see a seven-foot guy in the top of the keys draining a three at the buzzer. But uh, my opinion, guys, see what you say, uh, this is not high IQ basketball. Yeah, it's a challenge, Robert, coming out of a timeout yeah. to try to get him the ball in, in the setting that you're referring to. That that's the hard thing because you have the other team is knows what you're trying to do too. And yeah, that would you have to, to in some extent to t- some extent last night was a bit of an ad lib, but you actually got him around where you want him by that foul line where he's deadly. Yeah, but you're also doing that against the Portland Trailblazers. True, you're not doing it against the Boston Celtics. Yep. or the Milwaukee Bucks or yeah. the Miami Heat or whatever team you're liable to encounter in the second or third round of the postseason. And it's going to be more of a challenge in those scenarios. But the issue is more of a not having that wing guy than it is a play that's drawn up by Doc, in my estimation. He did the best he could. Yeah, I agree with you completely. That's the league now and has been for a while, is you need somebody who can create on the perimeter. 
Anyway, we can get to that, Rob. TJ, hang in there. We're going to get to your calls. Coming back after the break, we're going to talk to Zach Berman of The Athletic, longtime Eagles beat writer, friend of this program, kind of get his take and insight on what's been going on with the birds and these moves that they have to make and have made and all of that kind of stuff. He is Rob Ellis, in for Glenn Mack now. I am Mike Sealski. In the last hour, you can weigh in with us, 215-592-9494. You're listening to WIP. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Final hour of the program. Rob Ellison for Glenn McDowell, along with Mike Sealski, hanging out with you. We've got Phillies baseball coming up at 1 o'clock. Joining us right now, does an amazing job covering the Eagles and the NFL for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Zebra. What a great handle. I say that all the time. How did you pull that one off, Zach? That is that is short to the point. Boom! Zach Berman. Hi, Hi Zach. Hey, thanks for having me on. And I, I, I am guessing there weren't that many z berms when uh <laughs> I, I first logged on that's that's the only explanation i have there there, there is only one z berm exactly right this. exactly right all For right Zach, worse, right? so uh <laughs> you know uh 365 24 7 man the nfl mm-hmm. never sleeps and a busy day for you yesterday with some of the things that went down with the eagles let's start with the I think the universal positivity of Brandon Graham coming back for what you know is reportedly one year, six million dollars. Did you really ever think that there was a chance, Zach, that he could go to Cleveland or Detroit or somewhere else, or did you think this was by far the most likely landing spot? I thought this was the most likely landing spot. I I, I did believe there was a possibility because of the level of his performance that he could sign elsewhere. This was not a sentimentality signing, and, and that's an important distinction to make. This was a signing because uh, the Eagles need edge rushers, and he's a productive edge rusher. He, he's coming off a career high in sacks, fit that role well behind Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat. And the reality is that's the position, unlike some other positions I, I, I imagine we'll discuss, that's a position where players tend to age better. So it made sense for Brandon to stay here where he's raising his family on a, on a solid deal. And then for the Eagles to have that that type of certainty at the edge rusher position. Zach, we talked about this earlier in the show, Rob and I, about the leadership component that BG brings to the locker room and has brought to the franchise over time. It's it's something that is hard to pick up on, I think. I mean, we see publicly, you know, what a kind of happy-go-lucky guy he is, the way he gets along with the media. But you're there every day and have been there every day for a long time. Kind of describe for our listeners what Brandon Graham gives the Eagles, the players, the coaches uh, on a day-to-day basis in the room. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I really think the, the positive energy becomes infectious. And I say that because, like all your listeners, I imagine there are some days where you don't want to get out of bed or you dread going into work. And Brandon Graham's one of those people who, who just always has – energy bubbling off him, bouncing from him from wall to wall. He's talking in every practice. He's talking in every game. And I think on, on days when you – know, I've literally spoken to multiple players about this. On days when they might be dragging, Brandon Graham can lift you up. And over the course of a season when there's so many highs and so many lows and you know, some lows, it certainly helps to have someone who's, who's on all the time, and that's what Brandon is. Yeah, and Zach, I think you pointed it out earlier. The big thing is this this wasn't maybe a signing that would fall into the category. I know Howie spoke after the you know it was Super Bowl 52 and said, look, one of the weaknesses of, of myself is 
I get too sentimental here. And sometimes, you know, they would bring guys back simply for that reason. This wasn't that. And now you bring back at least, you know, we'll, we'll see how everything else shakes out. Three players who were all in double-digit sacks. I mean, you should still be a very effective pass-rushing team with Brandon coming back here. Yes, absolutely. And that, if if you look, 70 sacks last year, franchise record. The defense is going to look different this year personnel-wise. There's coordinator. Uh, but what, what should always remain is a pass rush. And the Eagles need to figure out what's going to happen on their interior defensive line. Um, that's going to be a big story this week and in the coming weeks. But from an edge rushing perspective, to have Brandon Graham as your third rusher behind Sweat, behind Reddick, that's a good spot. And then they're going to still add there. I, I, I can see one of you know the, their first three draft picks being an edge rusher. But I, I think that's, a, that's something that should and is a priority for Harry Rose. interior of the defensive line is a place the Eagles are going to need to address. Uh, another area, obviously, is the secondary and more specifically cornerback. What do you make of what happened yesterday with Darius Slay and the reporting that the Eagles have given him permission to seek a trade when he wasn't really seeking a trade? <laughs> he was seeking uh, more money and a restructuring of his contract. Uh, what's going on here, and how do you think this is all going to shake out? Yeah, so the Eagles need to, or I, I shouldn't say need. It, it would certainly help the Eagles to restructure Darius Lay's contract to open up cap space. It's, it's structured in a, in a way that allows them to do it and gives them more cap flexibility this year. Lay has, has said publicly that he would like a contract extension to stay with the Eagles. Um, and if you just kind of read between the lines there, this could be a matter of, of valuation, that if, if Slay wants a certain number, and Eagles aren't looking to spend that number, then they can say, hey, go see if you, if you, if you can find that elsewhere. Um, this is a relatively common thing for you know, players of that skill level at that age. Um, whether it plays itself out publicly kind of varies from player to player, but, 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 but that's my interpretation of this. It's, if you want this deal, go see if you can find this deal. Um, and we'll see how that materializes during the next few days. But certainly, it, you know, if, if the best-case scenario for the Eagles is to have Slay back on a restructured deal that gives them cap space in 2023. Do you sense animosity, Zach, or is this, like you said, just sort of, hey, this is the way the league goes, it's a business. Slay can be a, you know, fiery kind of guy sometimes. Where do you sense he is with the organization, and where are they with him? Yeah, so I, I haven't spoken to Slay in, in the past 24 hours, so I, I don't want to speak for him. But, you know, you are right in, in, in saying this is a business. And, and this time of year especially, I think the, the players who've been around for a long time understand it. But um, all business is personal to an extent, right, because you're essentially being told in any contract negotiation you're worth X. And if you think you're worth Y and the team thinks you're worth X, I imagine that, you know, if it was me, it would not sit well with me, right? Mm. So uh, that's that's something every player needs to deal with. But Slay's been around long enough, has been involved in enough contract negotiations that I imagine um, he's in tune with what's going on. So the Eagles have this relative uncertainty in the secondary, and not just with Slay, but with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Zach, uh, they've got to address the interior of the defensive line, and maybe that's Javon Hargrave. Uh, maybe it's not. 
you have James Bradbury, who's a free agent, and you have the draft coming up, and you have a situation where this franchise hasn't drafted a cornerback since Lito Shepard in the first round in uh, 2002. I don't mean to suggest they haven't drafted a cornerback since Lito Shepard. I mean, they haven't taken one in the first round. Um, put on the GM uh, glasses here for a second. You know, how he doesn't wear glasses. Uh, how do you think this works, and, and what would you kind of prioritize if you were the Eagles? Well, he wears sunglasses, so I'll, I'll put on his sunglasses All right, here. Cool. Um, and I, I like wearing those. Um, so here you go. So I, I think that uh, Howie's in an, in an interesting spot here. I, I, I think he has learned from the past Super Bowl run uh, that you don't just try to run it back. Now, the flip side is, is they, have, they have really good players who you're going to want on your team. Um, but, but those players have earned uh, big contracts, right? I mean, Hargrave's going to get paid. DJ Garner Johnson is going to get paid. Uh, the Eagles are going to prioritize what's most important to them, which is the defensive line and the offensive line. And that's why I think they're going to make sure they have a pass rushing presence from the interior. Now, Hargrave, who, who might be the top unrestricted free agent this week, uh, he's, he's going into his 30s here. Uh, so you got to decide what's he worth to you, what's he worth to the rest of the league. I think they would love to have Hargrave back at a number that makes sense, but I think Hargrave's really going to get paid. And if Hargrave signs elsewhere, they need to have a backup plan. And, they, and so if they have money to spend, there are intriguing free agents who are younger. I think that's a priority to them. D.J. Gardner-Johnson, uh, you know, that was a very good trade for the Eagles, and he played – exceptional in that role and he, he he's going to get paid accordingly so if he if, if he's getting paid in that 14 15 million dollar range i don't see the eagles going there for safety and, and and they're going to have to figure it out this is all a way of saying that i don't think how he's going to be sentimental to his own free agents um but i also don't think he's he's just going to say let everyone go i you know he he needs to to uh, reconfigure this defense with, in a way that works with the cap and a way that aligns with his priorities. And that priority is always going to be the defensive line. So there's going to be less of a focus on linebackers, let's say. There might be less of a focus on safeties. There's always going to be a focus on the defensive line and then the corners to an extent. Zach, and we, are, we already know Brandon Graham's back, but who would you put in the likely category to come back among the you know the the names that are out there. Let, let's just go on the defensive side. Let's forget Sam Malo and Scott and Sanders for a minute. On the defensive side, is there anybody you would put in the likely to be back category? If they can get Hargrave at the number that works for them, I I can I think that's going to be the guy that that they would push to bring back. But like I said, Hargrave's the potentially the top free agent on the market. I don't think Bradbury's going to be back. I think he's he's going to get paid elsewhere. Um, it's a really crowded linebacker, off-ball linebacker market in, in free agency. If T.J. Edwards doesn't get the number that he might be looking for, I think there's a chance they could bring him back. But otherwise, I think the Eagles are, are, are going to let most of these guys test the market. They're going to have a number in mind. The Eagles will have a number in mind, that is. And if those players can't get the, get the number they want elsewhere, they can return to Philly at Philly's number. But I, I, I don't think the Eagles are going to be – um, desperate to keep their guys. I think they're going into this offseason, and I, I, I know this because Howie Roseman has prepared the fan base for this. They're going into this offseason with the expectation that they're going to lose players. Now, I spoke to Nick Sirianni two nights ago, 
and, and, and Nick's hoping they can bring some of these guys back. That's, that's the head coach talking, right? But from a, a business perspective, from a GM perspective, I think they're prepared for the reality that they're going to lose most of these guys and most of their top guys. Zach, you mentioned talking to Nick Sirianni two nights ago. I assume that was at the Maxwell Club dinner? Correct, yep. So let's take this conversation in a slightly different direction. Uh, I saw and heard some of what Jalen Hurts said that night. He was honored, I believe, as the uh, player of the year. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Um, Gave a speech, had a particularly memorable line. I didn't walk through fire just to smell the smoke. Um, Your impressions of Hurts that night and – you know, your thoughts on where this is headed with, between him and the team. Obviously, they're going to re-sign him. I think that everybody takes that for granted. But I'm curious how you think it's all going to play out and, and just how much he has helped himself uh, and developed as a leader and a player um, since you've started covering him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question because if, if we had this conversation a year ago today, you know, you know, going into free agency a year ago, I would say that, Eagles were totally convinced about his intangibles, still needed to be convinced about him as a quarterback, right? And I think what we saw this past year is that he answered the bell as a quarterback. He, he, he did everything and more they could have wanted, and the intangibles have been and are through the roof. You cite that speech the other night. That, that, that continued to show what was apparent throughout last year. This is Jalen Hurts' team. And I think if, if you even talk to the veteran leaders – the Jason Kelseys and Brandon Grants and Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, they, they would tell you this is Jalen's team. Jalen, Jalen is the guy, and he, he carries himself that way. He speaks that way. He acts that way. He works that way. And it, it, it was apparent when he was speaking in, in, in the ballroom at, at Mohegan, Pennsylvania. It's apparent when he's in the locker room. It's, a, it's, it's, it's apparent during the Super Bowl week. Uh, so he's, he's going to get paid accordingly. The question is, is, is just when and, and how much. Um, but the Eagles are over the moon with Jalen Hurts, and, and I think Jalen Hurts is happy in Philadelphia as well. Zach, philosophically, we know it's, it's become a scoring league. It's become you know an offensive-driven league, the rules are such, and everything else. And what the Eagles had last year was, was a bit of an exception. Can they still, in your estimation, you know, get to the summit here? If they're in a middling defense, is the offense good enough to carry them, at least on paper right now, in your estimation? Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, one thing that might get lost in all their free agents is that if you talk to them, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you how they have almost everyone locked up on the offensive side of the ball. And they're young there, and they're going to continue to get better there. Uh, and they're going to be a potent offense as, as long as Jalen continues on the trajectory that he's on. Uh, so to answer your question, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you can score and you have the quarterback play and the skill guys that they have, you're going to be a good team. But defensively, you, I mean, you, you can't just stick your hands up and say, we'll get by with what we have, but, uh, they're going to reconfigure this. And like I say, if, if you can get to the quarterback, that's a big part of it. And one thing, when you look, I, I, I hate, keep bringing up 2017 and 2018, but I think it is instructive in this situation to view that the Eagles got, got old and slow pretty fast. And I think old, slow and expensive rather. Uh, and I think they're going to be particularly mindful not to get old, slow and expensive. And the way to do that is to build the defense through the draft. And I, you know, I, I really think you're going to see 
uh, a lot of what they do in the draft is is focusing on 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 bringing young talented players on that defense, building with that group, and knowing that you have your offense locked up for a while. Last one for me, Zach. How does Sean Desai uh, try to extract the most out of that kind of defense, where you're going to have young players stepping in, guys like Jordan Davis and presumably Nicobe Dean? Um, how different will it look from a strategic standpoint because Jonathan Gannon isn't there and Sean Desai is? Yeah, philosophically, I, I think that the defense will mostly be the same in that uh, Nick Sirianni, I mean, I think he, he might disagree with some of your listeners in that he was happy with the defense's philosophy, with the defense's structure. There's going to be adjustments based on, obviously, Sean Desai coming in. The size, you know, you know, the size pace, the size background. He had a year in Seattle. How does that factor into it? But, but kind of the the Vic Fangio style of defense. I think that's what they're going to look like. But, um, you know, a big part of the way the Eagles played last year, and I didn't really answer the question before, Mike, when you asked it about Bradbury. A big part of the of the way they played was that they had two premier cornerbacks, and. If Bradbury walks, and I'm assuming that's the case, and depending on what happens with Slay, they're going to need to figure that out because we've seen in this city when you don't have that type of certainty at corner, uh, it changes your pass rush, it changes your pass coverage, and it makes things look an awful lot different. So if your philosophy is don't give up the big play on defense, uh, it's much easier to do that when you have two top corners than when you have two league average corners. So I think that's going to be a, a big part of what they can do on defense, can you trust your corners on the outside? With that said, Zach, do you, do you think this is the year they break the streak here since 2002 taking a corner in the first round? Do you get a sense that it could be this year since it's a, a pretty good crop and they are in need at that position? Yeah, so in the past two years in particular, I know they were very interested in, in corners high in the draft both those years. I, I mean, there was a chance it could have been Patrick Sertain or J.C. Horn in 2021 instead of Devontae Smith. Had had those guys fallen, and then last year, if you know, uh, let's say Derek Stingley dropped or Sauce Gardner, they those are guys they would have been interested in. So corner is a priority position for them. I can see that happening. Now, I, I still think that if there's an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman on the board they really like at ten, that's the direction they would go just because of of the way they view roster building. But it would really surprise me if one of their first three picks is not spent on a corner, whether that's at 10 or whether that's whatever they do at, at 30 in terms of if, if they trade back. I think there could be a sweet spot between 25 and 40 four corners, and I, I, I could certainly see them taking a, a corner with their second pick whenever that second pick lands. Right. Yeah, four in the top four, 94 picks. Look, Rob, we've, we've kept – Zach, long enough. Yes. He is a Syracuse alumnus. Oh, boy. And I know that he is in a period of mourning right now because Jim Beheim <laughs> has retired as the Orange men's basketball coach. I'm surprised he did the show today with us. I, I, mean, I, I really am. Um, but we want to thank him for coming on. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time. I was in the, the car earlier listening to you guys talk about Big Five basketball and nostalgia associated with that. Um, there's a lot of nostalgia associated with Jim Beheim when you're in the same place for 47 years. And uh, I'm curious to see the next chapter of Syracuse Hoops. Yeah. Adrian Autry. I- I'm not sure anybody can yell at college journalists in post-game press conferences the <laughs> way that Jim Beheim did. It makes you better. <laughs> see that, Mike? Yeah, I You're know. You're soft. That's exactly what Zach would say. Zach welcomes that kind of stuff. <laughs> 
hanging on, man. Zach, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for a couple of minutes today. respect to Zach, I am thrilled that Bayheim's out of there. I don't have to see him, that 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 whining mope anymore. I'm thrilled. Great run. 47 years, unprecedented. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Been, at, been at the school since 62. Yep. It's incredible. But the act was old and done for me. Yeah, a it, long had, time it had gotten old a while ago. Um, and I'm kidding Zach about that, but he's right. You know, Syracuse has a terrific journalism program. It has turned out some incredible sports writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach is among them. Um, and it does make you better because Bayheim was so difficult, could be so difficult to deal with when you're a sophomore, junior, or senior as an undergrad, mm-hmm. um, that it made the people who came out of that program much better. No and question. Sharper. Hey, uh, pass this along. We're gonna, we'll uh, get a timeout, and then we'll open up the phone lines for the rest of the show. But uh, Bud Grant passed away, 95 oh. years old. Was an Eagle at one time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, longtime Viking coach and, uh, you know, was a guy who – it was maybe a couple of years ago. They were doing something to honor one of their teams, and it was freezing. It was the dead of winter in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Comes out in short sleeves, like that at like eighty something. The guy was a was a badass. Man. He was lost. Was it four Super Bowls? Was he the coach of all four of the Vikings teams? I believe so. That lost in the Super Bowl. Yeah, ninety five years old. So wow. Brad Grant, rest in peace. All right, we're gonna time out here. We'll come back. TJ, you're gonna be first up. But we uh, open up those phone lines for your reaction to everything we've been discussing today. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Rob Ellison for Glenn Mack now. WIP Sports Time is 1222. All right, we're back. We're taking up to Phillies baseball at 1 o'clock. I'm Rob Ellis in for Glenn Mack now along with Mike Sealski. You got Phillies Yankees today, Mike. And isn't that crazy? We are now 19 days away from the start of the baseball season. It, you know, you, know, you throw out the record books when the Phillies and the Rangers get together. Oh, yeah, gosh. I oh. mean, the history I, I think, there. Yeah, I think back to all the great Phillies Rangers games over the years. Like that one, that one time. <laughs> yeah, it is a little weird. Uh, I'll have to admit, it's it, it's a, what they call a balanced schedule now. Um, I don't like it. Yeah, I, I give me as much NL East, yeah. NL period. What I would have liked to have seen is just a little bit more balance in 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 the, in league. Like mm-hmm. in other words, I know the Pirates stink, but I, I miss when the Pirates and the Phillies were a rival back in the yeah. day. You almost feel like they're they might as well be on the West Coast. Yeah, at this point, but I, yeah, I don't need a lot of Rangers, Mariners. No, frankly. if you want to watch those teams, there are ways to watch those teams. Yeah, and what what it seems to me, sports in general, and there are certain leagues that are moving this way faster than others. What sports in general seem to be getting away from is the idea of team rivalries, mm. right? You, see, this to me is the big problem with the NBA is that they have emphasized the individual players either as, in the way that they can move from team to team, in the way they market the league through social media and these players' personalities and who's getting traded where and who's signing where, that part of the reason the league's ratings have fallen as much as they have, and they are way down, it's something that not too many people talk about, uh, is that they don't emphasize the fact that Boston loves the Celtics and Philadelphia loves the 76ers and L.A. loves the Lakers and there are connections visceral connections to those teams in those regions. And that's true throughout sports. The NFL yeah. maintains it, mm-hmm. that the Cowboys are an entity and the Eagles are an entity. The reason why you see them on prime time all the time. Exactly. Those, and, those matchups. and I'd hate to see baseball going that direction too, where you know, you're know you going to get more games where the Phillies play the Seattle Mariners instead of the Phillies playing the Mets or yeah, the Braves. I hear you. Let's go to TJ in Houston. TJ, you're on 94 WIP. Hey, TJ. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, TJ. 
Good. I'm a, uh, a lifelong Philadelphia 4 for 4 fan. Lived down here in Houston, Texas for the past 32 years. Wow. And uh, have two kids that go to Lehigh University. Um, one of them's a Houston fan. The other is a, a Philly fan. And so the younger one, who's a diehard Eagles fan, sent me a, uh, a text a little while ago that he pulled up from Twitter. And Darius Slay said, need a tech guy to set up my man cave in Houston. So breaking oh boy. news or whatever that's worth. Oh, boy. Okay. Um you know, maybe property values are so much lower in Houston, Texas, than they are in the greater Philadelphia area. Taxes are lower that he's just going to live there and then fly back up, you know, once maybe. the Eagles restructure his contract. But if he wants to play yeah. there at 33, you're not interested in winning a ring. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's a good point. But money talks. Yep, sure does. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens with that, TJ. I would, I, I, you know. I, that could go a number of different ways. Uh, you know, I, he could he could go out there, try the market, and not see much that interests him. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality sets in that while well, you're playing here for another year, I don't know how he's a very boisterous guy. So I don't know how that, that sits with. Yeah. Guys. And the one thing we haven't talked about too, Rob is, you know, he's 32. Yeah. Um, it, it's not, it's something the Eagles have to take into consideration that even if he comes back at whatever his cap number is, is he going to be close to the same cornerback he was for the first half of last season? Mm-hmm. Um, because he wasn't in the second half. Nope. He wasn't nearly as good in the second half of that season. Uh, as he was in the first, and if he's a year older, you know what? What should the expectations for him be? Yeah, to me, there isn't much debate who was better here, Bradbury. It was Bradbury over the course of the entire season. Let's go to Gary in South Philly. Gary, you're on ninety four. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Gary. Hi, Gary. Just want to say a couple things, Phillies and Eagles, real quick. Having spent uh, twenty two years and some change in the military, uh, leadership is important. So bringing Brandon Graham back was important. Mm-hmm. Agree with you completely, 100%. Gary. Yep. Well, you know, you have to have around a bunch of guys, leadership in that locker room. Now, I spent 15 active duty years in the Marine Corps, never shot nothing but a target. Uh, then I got out and found, found myself in the Army National Guard and got activated after 9-11. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Uh, leadership was important. I got an Army commendation for because I, I told my truth, my platoon, we was coming home. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And we I'm sure were, I'm sure in that platoon you had men of all ages yes, and backgrounds. Yes, yes indeed. Um, but and, and, but the know. reserves don't the reserves didn't understand that concept because they were one week a week. Yeah, you weren't you didn't have the continuity where you guys were together weeks, all the time. Two weeks of drinking beer in the summer. Right. But um, hey, we 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 went and got back, and I can't say where we went, but we went we went and came home. Yeah. Now with the Phillies, uh, I grew up listening to the Phillies on the radio. Before before we scraped up enough money to go to Connie Mac Stadium. Oh gosh! So, <laughs> but I still love it on the radio. I have the TV on and the sound from the radio. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I, what do you what do you have on Trey Turner, Gary? Great pickup. I mean, he did come from the Braves farm system, right? No, no, Washington. Washington, Washington? and the Padres. the Padres. The Padres initially drafted him. Yes. Yeah. Well, look, I don't care. He he's I, I've loved his his leadership as well. And once Bryce comes back. And with the way people are playing, we we have our not, we have our leadoff hitter. Sorry, Swarbs, uh, <laughs> but you got you got you got to move down in the lineup. Yeah, Gary, thanks, thanks so much Jack. for the call. I think I think Gary makes a good point about the Phillies lineup and and Turner's place in it, especially with respect to these new rule changes, the lack of shifts that are coming in. Um, I mean, Turner might be the fastest player in baseball. He's perfect for, for what this is. He would have yeah. been perfect even with the old rules. But, yeah, the, the ability to steal a base, the ability to take an extra base, the, the, the pop, the, the, he's a good, pure hitter. He can feel. I mean, this was a 
an incredible signing. Yeah, there, there's going to be a Jimmy Rollins feel to him yeah. um, at the top of that lineup. And, and Turner, in a lot of ways, is a better hitter than Jimmy was. No yeah. disrespect to Jimmy at all, who I think is a Hall of Fame player. But it, it would be su- very surprising to me if Trey Turner, assuming he stays healthy all season, doesn't hit at least 10 triples. There's going to be nights at that ballpark where he hits a ball down the line or in the gap, and the entire ballpark is going to be on its feet watching him you know, round second and head to third. Yeah, I mean, look, they it, Harper's healthy, whatever he is. You want to call him a DH, best DH in the game. Turner's the best shortstop in the game. You got the best catcher in the game. That's a nice start. You know, to men- not to mention some of the other pieces that they have there for sure. But keep those arms healthy, Mike. Yeah, keep that's the, the arms that's healthy. the question, Robbie. That's for sure. Let's go to Gus in Bethlehem. What's happening, Gus? Hey, Rob. But before I talk the the rule changes with you, I want to say this: the NBA is an association of elite athletes for elite fans, okay? And the fact that the Gran Torinos of this world, the get-off-my-lawn guys, uh, don't like it, I don't care anymore. I just don't care. The game has passed them by. They're talking about Embiid in the low post. Give me a break. It's 40 years ago. They, they just have no clue anymore. Yeah, no I mean, he's, these athletes. where he was last night for the game winner is where he's most effective. They win a game, and we still get the same grousing. I'm tired of it. I've given up. I'm not talking about the Sixers anymore on this station. It's not worth the effort. Now, on the on the the, the rule changes in baseball, I've come around to the idea or the you know the opinion. I hate these rules. I think that the the whole give the base runner a free pass after two pitches have been thrown to first base is about ex, as exciting. It's a terrible idea by people who don't And I've made this point before on this show. The very the very aspects of the sport that make playoff baseball so fun and tension filled to watch make the sport nowadays so boring and laborious during the regular season that I really I disagree with you. I feel something had to be done. Go back Not and walk. that. Not a dumb idea. Well, here's the thing, though. Go back. Hey, wait a minute, Mike. Mike, how about just getting rid of the balk? I, I don't know that that changes anything necessarily. It sure does, because then, you have, then the pitcher has a chance. And uh, then you have Lou Brock versus Steve Carlton. You have a real battle, a real cat and mouse game. Yeah, you do, and that's and that's a sport. And thanks, Gus, for the call. That that's a that's my point, though, is that the sport was played differently back when Rob grew up watching it, and I grew up watching it, and the culture of it naturally changed over time. It wasn't rule changes that got players stepping out of the box after every single yeah. pitch. Mm-hmm. It wasn't rule changes that got players not stealing bases as much. It wasn't rule changes that got players swinging for the fences and not worrying about whether they struck out and valuing walks over what might have been called a productive out at one point. All the changes in the sport, I understand why teams made them. You know, they thought it would help them win, but it made the sport less interesting. It yeah. just did. Yeah, and, and and a lot of the – and I think over time, baseball is going to Pick and choose their spots. I think some of this stuff might go away or be altered or whatever. I think they're open to that, and I'm glad they're open-minded. The A lot of these rules were done in in large part to make sure that there's just more, 
hate to use this word engagement because that's what they're calling these pickoff moves. But like to me, there is more strategy here. You know, all right, you only got two bullets, man. You right. Make sure it's not just this nonsense where some lefty's throwing some lollipop over to first base for no reason when a guy's an inch off the bag. Right. It, there's a reason why we don't need to see Bryce Harper 35,000 times adjusting his batting gloves. None of that is strategy. None of that is help. It is fat on the stake that you just want trimmed off. And that's what they're trying to do. I think, A, it's going to keep people mentally engaged in the game more because there are little cat and mouse stuff here and there. Are you going to quick pitch? Are you going to do what Scherzer did? Is that going to be outlawed? How much can the hitters take advantage of that? All those kind of things. And not to mention the fact that just a two-hour and 15. I heard Rob Thompson talking about this yesterday. He was on with John Marks and Ike Reese. And it was an interesting point. He said, you know, when we're in the dog days here, and our guys are getting out of the clubhouse at 9.20, 9.30, and they're home by 10 o'clock as opposed to 11.30 and midnight, it's going to help these guys be better the next day. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fans. Right, it's going right. to make the game better because it's quicker. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right about that, Rob. And I'll use an example to kind of buttress the point that I've used before. Um, but I think it, it, it draws the parallel very clearly. Think back to when it was accepted in Major League Baseball. That if you had a runner on second base with nobody out, if I presented that scenario to you, Rob Ellis, there's a runner on second, nobody out, you are coming up to hit. What is your primary job in that situation? Get the runner to third base. Okay, hit the ball to the right side of the infield. Maybe bunt him. Mm -hmm. Now, over time, through the use of statistics and analysis and all that, teams realized, actually, if you're giving up an out in that situation to get the runner to third base, your chances of scoring a run aren't any better. Mm -hmm. You might as well have the hitter just try to get a base hit or hit a home run, okay? So they stopped doing that. You stopped bunning. You stopped hitting the ball to the right side. You know what happened? Action disappeared from the game. A, a, a batter hits the ball on the ground to the second baseman. It might go through the infield. The second baseman might boot it or throw it away. Something might. Something is happening. Yeah. And if a hitter just strikes out trying to get a hit, nothing's happening. And baseball, to me, had to do something to get that, as you said, Rob, engagement, that action back into the sport. What's also happened is with the analytics, the all or nothing, the strikeout home run, it diluted the home run. Yeah. And it's not as special anymore. And and to me, I would much rather see an assist from the outfield now than a home run, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I would rather see somebody thrown out at third trying to go you know, from first to third stretch one or whatever, a guy thrown out at the plate or second base or whatever. It's a way more exciting play. They're trying to get more action into the game, whether it's a steal, whether it's a throwout, anything. The ball is going to be in play more because of the shift because that's gone. Yeah. The ball hopefully, you know, and again, we'll see. I think it's going to take the batters and the hitters time to adjust. I think there's an advantage for the pitchers right now, but I don't know that it's going to stay that way. We're going to see. I mean, I think the Phillies are a great case study because they have Harper and they have Schwarber, two two lefties who hit into the shift a ton. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, how much different is that going to look? Yeah. Because there's going to be a lot more balls in play because of that. If I were Ryan Howard, I would watch the oh. season and say to myself, my God, where was this when I, you know, when I was batting cleanup in 2011, 2012, yeah. you know, yeah. later in my career? The other thing that's going to be interesting is you can't do it with the infielders, but you can do it with the outfielders. There may be scenarios where there is literally nobody from center field to the, to the foul line mm-hmm. in left if you have a left-handed batter up. Yep. How unbelievable is that going to see Schwarber just punch one in the left field and just take off? Yeah. And what that looks he'll, like. He'll run for two days. Right. I mean, there, there's all those kind of things. And is it a little bit gimmicky right now? Are we, are we used to it? No. But it change, we're all hesitant to change, and I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think this was necessary to help the game 
get people back and advance people. Like I think this will draw people back. Yeah. And I think it will, it may also help the younger kids who are who are playing lacrosse because they're bored to death because of baseball. Yeah, I think I couldn't agree with you more. We'll see. 215-592-9494. All right, we roll into our final segment. We will get as much reaction as we can. We'll kind of circle back on some of the big stories that we had. We didn't really dive too much into that Panther-Bears trade. Let's do that a little bit when we Sounds return. Sounds good. All right, Mike Sielski, I'm Rob Ellis, in for Glenn. WIP Sports Time is 1242. Damn, All right, listen. Mike, go. Where it began. <laughs> yes. I can't begin to know him. But then I know it's growing strong. We can got, stop this now. I, I got to say, that was pretty good. You uh, stayed on Neil right hey, there. Hey, trying to, man. Good work at it. Trying. You. Nick, nice job. Had man. to by the end of the show. I told you. I was, I was waiting for it. That should be a staple with you and Glenn every Saturday. A little Neil? You know what? He, Coming back? That That's fine. Um, Sweet Caroline has become really cliched, though, mm. over time. And if you're a true Neil Diamond fan, you got to come out with, you know, some of the deep cuts. Maybe like a little it. Brooklyn Brooklyn Rhodes. You know, little crackling rose, you know, something like that. Coming to America. (laughs) Now we're talking. (laughs) Let's go to Jay in Maple Glen. Jay, you're on 94 WIP. Hey, guys. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jay. uh, Hey, I was listening to you guys, and I I really uh, wanted to say how much I agree with you guys in terms of the action part of uh, the effect of increasing the action, you know, with all the rules. Um, I I completely agree. I, I, I think that. We're missing stolen bases. We're missing those, like, singles and doubles that just drive home runs. Like, there's no – there's no, so I, I didn't watch baseball for many years. Got back into – I got, I got back into it because my kids started playing. I got the MLB TV app, and I'll tell you, it was a very boring experience getting that app and watching all those games. Now when I, I, got, I, I renewed my subscription, I started watching more games. And it's a completely different experience because there's more pitches. You know, you're not waiting for guys to, you know, do their little routines and do the next play all for, like, you know, a foul ball, you know? I completely agree that the action is what's missing. And just like any other league, especially like the NBA, how they make adjustments to make the game more interesting – What's the big deal in baseball doing the same? I'm happy that you they're know? being proactive. It, it, it took too long, frankly. Um, and what they're doing is... I don't, think it's, yeah. I don't think it's proactive, though. I think we're beyond yeah, that. You're right. You can say reactive, but I'm glad they're actually doing something, I guess, is, is the better way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Thanks, Jay. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just... I don't need... Uh, I don't need a human re- rain delay when there's a runner on base. I don't need Vince Velasquez taking 15 minutes between pitches. Oh, I, it's, it's not enhancing the game or or my viewership. It's no. it's not a better product for that. No. And you also kind of have a clash of generations. I've seen younger baseball fans who are bemoaning these changes yeah. because they don't know anything different. They don't remember yeah. what the sport was like before it slowed down to the point that it was like cold molasses, you know? It's just <laughs> Snell's pace. Yeah, it really Snell's is. Snell's pace, yeah, for sure. All right. All right. Nick Earnshaw. Nikki E. Yes. What do we miss today? All right, so I don't know how much you guys have been staying up late watching the World Baseball Classic, but today the U.S. has their first game against Great Britain at 9 p.m. So I'm for Great Britain? Who's on that squad? <laughs> oh, goodness. I, I couldn't even okay. tell you. I have maybe uh, Hugh Grant. Maybe. I watched the U.S. team play the Giants uh, during the week. I was just Vance Worley is actually on Great Britain. 
Wow. Oh, there you go. Former Phillies legend. Okay. Goggles and all that. Nine. I like Vance was a fun guy. The Vanimal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. One more thing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. He is apparently, we've heard all the things with the New York Jets. Apparently, in the summer, he's going to be speaking at the Psychedelic Science uh, Conference. Of course he is. In Denver. Mm. So, a little something on Aaron Rodgers. He, he much like Bayheim, just go away, please. I, I don't need any more. I've reached that point. You think he, like, sits in his totally dark room and listens to just, you know, Iron Butterfly on a loop? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think he's in just sort of wannabe Haight-Ashbury mode yeah. nonstop. I don't know what's going on. a gotta do yeah. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. All right, I, I wanted to touch on this. Good job, Nick. Appreciate it, man. Um, so the Bears and the Panthers make a trade. Yes. And the Bears give up the number one pick, and the Panthers slide into that spot. It was not without a hefty cost here, uh, Mike. So they give up to the Panthers, the number nine, the number 61, a first-rounder in 2024, a second-rounder in 2025, and D.J. Moore, who's a local kid, who's been mm-hmm. a good receiver for yeah. the Panthers. That's a lot. Now, if you're sure about your guy and that guy turns out to be a stud, no one will ever, ever blink about this. Of course. What, what worried me a little bit when I was reading about this, it said that they were debating about two guys they're in love with two guys, and, and that, to me, is troubling. It means... You're not all in on somebody. No. We said this, we were talking about this before the show, and I heard a very wise saying the time to decide to kill the deer is before you go hunting. <laughs> and that, that saying applies to what the Panthers yep. are doing here. If you're going to give up that much to get the number one overall pick, you better know who you're taking. Yeah. And you better be right. And, and look, it's, uh, I, I appreciate the bold move, and it's one of the things I like. Howie's always bold. And if, look, you got to get the quarterback. We all realize that. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's going to be one of those things. To keep your eye on. I think it was a really good move by the bears. They have uh, loaded themselves up. Yeah, they have. And if you can get, you know, Justin Fields to take a step forward in the way that Jalen hurts yeah. did, you're going to be in good shape. No doubt. All right. So we, we hit everything. Brandon Graham, Darius Slay, the Phillies injuries with Painter and Suarez flyers firing of Chuck Fletcher timing of that whole thing. The Sixers and beat hits a game winner. They win one twenty one nineteen. now 44 and 24 on the season, 23 and eight since the new year and we tried to solve the problem what actually happened to the big five i'm not sure we did i think it's kind of a byproduct of just the the world that we live in today mike rob we can only do so much (laughs) you know we can all we are we are nothing but men that is all we are we are flawed yes uh you know i think when we announce our our presidential campaign next week that'll be it uh you know ellis sealski in 24 (laughs) Then we'll move on to bigger and better. You can have the headline. You can have the front part of that. Oh, no, 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 no. You're older than I am. I'm the fresh young face to the Uh, scene. Is that right? All right. Um, All right, Mike, it was a pleasure, man. You too, pal. Thanks. Great great job out of Nick Earnshaw. We have Phillies baseball coming up. It is Scott Fransky and Kevin Stocker with the call. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow at the same time with Jody Mack. So I'm looking forward to hanging out with you guys tomorrow. It has definitely been a fun show. We appreciate it, everybody. Have a great rest of your weekend. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 
Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.